0: This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium, Episode Two Ninety Eight: The Super Imperian Guide. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martin's and Hunter
1: Donaldson.
0: Hunter, there's two games of the prelims left. Just two, just two games that I'm trying to make happen. And let me tell you, they might be weeks apart so far. (laughs) is the way things. What? I don't know yet, man. I don't know. We've got one game coming up this Friday, but the other one, I do not think is this weekend. The prelims are going to go out on a. On a, on a bit of a curve of a, a sliding scale of the wow. of how quickly we we finish these but we are trying to finish the prelims everyone so that we can dive into the semis the semis lounge has been been created the semis players are starting to chatter with each other but uh no games are scheduled yet uh it feels like at this point Wait, so the how, hope how, is how, june i don't know how
1: how, how, how many how many games do we have left in the two. prelims?
0: We have thirty-four semifinals. We just have two already. So there's just two people left, and after this weekend, we'll just have one person left to figure I out. I got
1: two people on this call right now.
2: <laughs> one you of them already played.
1: Play, if you don't want to play Ti, uh, <laughs> then yeah, well, I, well, I got some subs for you on my mind. Two people <laughs> right here know how to play the game. We'll play it, Matt. Just get. I, I just get a
0: bye to the semis. Everybody, I did it. Well, I did it, everyone.
1: <laughs> I, I no. All right, everybody, meet me in the dugout right now. Okay. So we scaled back our participation in the broadcasting of the prelims, right? Which is not necessarily like I get that. You know, what I'm telling you is, we did. Oh, we did less work or whatever. Uh huh. Uh, it's not like we were stoked to not cover it yeah yeah but what we thought was well if we sit out on that aspect It'll burn through it yeah that games will happen and it is <laughs> let me just give you hold on everybody it is may 9th 2023 uh 208 p.m <laughs> eastern time uh-huh. yes we're recording this the day before yeah the day before it comes out well mind your own business uh <laughs> so that's not great that's not great, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We we didn't really do we didn't I guess we didn't really do a great job because I thought the whole point of this yeah. was to get it done faster. Well,
0: I'll note that the qualifiers took longer too, so this prelims phase started
1: a okay. couple weeks later. Qualifiers in the dugout right yeah, now. Sure. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> what are we doing here? It's been tough out there. It's it's hard it's
0: just hard for people to find time. Play games these days. I I don't know. Maybe maybe we were still in residual. You know, we were still in you know mid COVID time when people were like, listen, I'm not going anywhere. Okay, I got yeah. Time. That was true. you know last year. This year, people are trying to go places, and uh, it it just means we I, I've got I've got so many players that are have messaged me saying I'm trying to find time to play a game. It's just not coming up. I don't have weekends. The weekends don't aren't real, and then
1: they maybe- eventually have to drop. Do so we need to do the qualifiers and the prelims like in the winter? Yes. Like, like what if we no started? Joke. Next year's tournament will be in like October.
0: <laughs> like, we need people oh when God. they're sheltered and in, in the winter t- months or something. Yeah, you, you know
1: what that means, though, Matt? That means like the next tournament starts. In a little bit. Yeah. it's like, exactly. not even that much time. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it'll actually be October, but it, yeah, I don't
0: think it's gonna be January. I think it'll be November or December that we actually start kicking off some games. But then
1: December is bad because of the holidays. Now, sure. Isn't this fan isn't this fascinating? Like yeah. this, what's this fun this what's meeting, fun fun. this production it, it, anyways, meeting. Yeah, we should move on. Now. We should move on. But it's it I is all we were in the show, Matt. <laughs> That's where I was. I was yeah. like, Are we just talking about stuff right now? <laughs> is that do the people want that? I don't know if the people do want that. But, anyways you're all in trouble uh it's somehow all your fault yeah and not-, not ours <laughs> which doesn't really make sense but okay um so yeah it looks like the well i mean the finals are probably gonna happen like around where they when they always happen oh like halloween Even- you know it's just like well,
0: <laughs> we'll be doing the finals of this year's tournament as the next tournament starts
1: up starts- there we go <laughs> that's that's good yeah that's good well i'm excited <laughs> I-, I was looking over the list of semifinalists lot of a lot of exciting storylines you know a lot of good material to work with as far as you know because we do rig it all so we're gonna start getting the writers room well uh, hunter we do
0: have to address it's been tough recently the writer's strike means the tournament's been hard to keep i mean you can't just have games without the writers there to provide the
1: material on the fly it's really really i mean let's be real we were never really a union job (laughs) anyways so it's been pretty easy to get people to cross the picket line for our show we have a a Room EJ stands outside writers. of my house. EJ stands in front of my house every
0: day with a picket sign, and just the cars drive by and ignore him. I don't know. The poor guy. It's been raining too. I feel for him, but oh well. yeah,
1: yeah. Real talk though, you know, solidarity with my with my writing brothers. Yeah. Uh, you know, get, get, get you show them. Um, yeah. yeah. Someday we're gonna form a podcasting union, and me and Matt will <laughs> protest somebody. I don't know. We'll we'll we'll. We'll be outside of the Spotify headquarters yeah. like yelling or something like that. that, that we we're protesting
0: fun. WKBEZ or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's get into a proper episode today. You're here because the title said Super Imperian Guide. That's if you're on you our want. Discord, people, uh, you, y'all you have been going through left
1: turns because it was supposed to be... Uh, so before I was working on Nomad and uh, then I didn't want to, so <laughs> and, so we're not doing that yet. And then I was working on Vuel Wraith, which I still am,
0: but... It's been, we've been in crunch time with some recordings. Next week's episode is an exciting fair for you that we've been spending weekends doing. Uh, So Mm -hmm. keep an eye out for that. But it means Cabal, I haven't gotten quite enough games in. So like Pre-Errata, the pre Arata channel has been Nomad and then Cabal. And then like a couple days of Empyrean. And then here we are recording the Empyrean one. So uh, I feel like that also tells the story of what this, Empyrean guide is going to kind of be like because Hunter, when you came to me, you were like hey, actually, I'm just ready to do the Empyrean guide. Like, I'm good. I've got this one, actually. So, what? where did that come from?
1: Well, so sometimes uh, so, you know, we slated to do uh, updated episodes on every expansion faction. yeah. And I think that all of those have been, like, pretty useful and, and have made a lot of sense. Um, this one doesn't. We actually got it before. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to (laughs) kind of hang out with Empyrean today, but it's not, I would lower the stakes a little bit. I would say like, if you heard the original episode, there's not a lot of updates. The only thing that's changed with Empyrean is that the frontier deck is a little bit different and it's not even, it hasn't gotten worse, it's just a little bit different. So in a lot of ways, the kit is the same. Our takes are not really that different um and to be honest i just have a lot of confidence when it comes to empyrean Mm -hmm. um them and i have a pretty high win rate with both them and necrovirus Mm -hmm. um which i probably wouldn't have that high of a win rate if i got to just play them my favorite factions all the time because i i think they are like kind of top both of those are like top five for me yeah um so i probably would have a lower one but considering that you know i think empyrean i've played like Six games. I think I won like five of those games wow. or something like that. That's so, I mean, it's, stupid. it's been all right. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's maybe it's it's maybe more like four out of six or sure. something like that. But it's 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 at a point where I feel like okay, it's I feel pretty settled in what I think of this faction when I look at the pre as far as like things people have show uh, have thrown in. I think most people are kind of like yeah. I think we all kind of get this. So this is more of just throwing out. Like here is a refresher on it. You know, if you need to be caught back up yeah. on uh on Empyrean and where they're at, they don't, yeah. you know, they're not a perfect faction by any means. Right. Um but I think they're you know what I think it is? I think they're well designed. We haven't mm-hmm. said enough nice things about Dane um <laughs> lately. I've noticed yeah. we've gone really hard on him, uh-huh, and uh-huh. that's not fair. I think the design of Empyrean teaches you how to play them yeah. well. Right. And that that's a good thing. And teaches so, you how to
0: play Twilight Imperium well. This is like a good true. starter faction. This is a this is a if people are looking for someone to give a, a new faction to. I, I saw somebody else in the pre to say this is their favorite faction to play. If you are the one experienced person with a group of new players, You can be like a fun enabler and like, I can give everybody blue tech basically is like Empyrean's whole MO, I guess. So I don't know. But I, I, I kind of agree with you that even more so than that idea is just the idea that Empyrean is like a good first factions. You can just sort of figure out how to play Twilight Empyrean by using their toolkit, essentially.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think they they click you into, um, you know, the the trade aspects of the game, and they kind of tell you to do the do these obvious things, yeah, yeah. and y- good things will probably happen <laughs> to you. And it's not... I also feel like... So, they're very similar to the Nasroka, right? The uh-huh. Nasroka uh, faction also does a very good job of, like, kind of guiding the player towards, like, things that will obviously be good. However... Nazroka, I would say, has like a, a layer of complexity on it that I feel like Imperium doesn't quite have. Yeah. Whereas, like, like Roka, you need to ex- basically understand how exploration works in general in order yeah. to use like pretty much any of their abilities. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about exploration, we're talking about three different decks that have like you know they're they have different properties, they yeah. have different things they lean into, they have different requirements, uh, and then you got to kind of like keep track of all three of them. You know, because Empyrean is just obsessed with the Frontier deck, and because the Frontier deck is, generally speaking, pretty good, especially now, um, now that, I mean, I guess there's really only two things you can get in the Frontier deck that I think are kind of bad, which would be like, uh the gamma which isn't even necessarily that bad right yeah, that's yeah. actually going to open you up to to something else but it's maybe not the thing you're best at um yeah we're getting a lot of just <laughs> honks in there today they're it's just okay. kind of they're just kind of popping in just underneath yeah uh, right. <laughs> uh, so... they don't it's not sirens today it's just people being like hey you recording something in there um uh, so <laughs> anyways yeah, the, the idea but, too yeah. that
0: that the exploration decks have sometimes complicated choices that a new player might not know what is the right option, right? It's like, yeah. oh, there's all this stuff, and it's also like, is a trade good worth an infantry? I don't know. Should I use this Freelancers right now, or is yeah, that absolutely. not optimal? Whereas the DET, the Frontier deck, is just like, just here's stuff, right? Nothing Nothing right. complicated to have to decide to do with it, basically.
1: Yeah, and I think the kit has enough like versatility in it but every individual piece of that kit is really obvious yeah. in its use case. With, I would say, the exception being um, the rules for using the Watcher. Yeah. I do find that newer players do tend to mess that up and not realize that, oh, like, the mech itself has to be adjacent. It's not just about you being neighbors. Right. right. Um, the I, I find the faction promissory notes, like, super easy to use and super intuitive. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes people get in the weeds of, like, how much should like do they have some sort of inherent value that they need to be like sold for right. and i don't think that is a very important discussion i think like <laughs> they just need to be out there right. like you just need to get them used by somebody and right. then and that will be good yeah. it's it's like a faction a, an extra faction ability that you unlock by giving it to yeah. someone right. like you right.
0: know. yeah it's it's a it's a handful of tools that are baseline good and then you could also learn the game more and further optimize them to make the faction even better, right? You you could yeah. kind of nickel and dime this thing to get little gains, but you don't even have to. You're just, It's just good stuff across the board.
1: And I'd say it's not really, I mean, I would say nickel and diming in general yeah. is not really worth it by and large in Twilight Imperium. Right. What you gain mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, maybe some raw value, you lose in... Uh, precious time yep and generally the longer the game goes the worse people play uh, towards the end of the game right so that and that's just like that's a hardcore value i have there i think yeah. that after you get past the eight hour mark people just start playing poorly right anyways it's just like unpredictable. most people right yeah, yeah. exactly you, you can't yeah. you don't know what to do uh let's talk about their lore for a minute i think
0: empyrean is really cute because here's here's my in my view the history of Twilight Imperium factions. Ooh, there's this L we just finished doing first edition stuff, right? And and in first right. edition there's this L1Z1X and it's this big mysterious faction. What is this? And then as the game develops we started to write more stuff about L1, and now L1 is just like a known variable. And then in third edition, eventually they introduced the Ghost of Krius, and and Ghost of Krius are just this like completely unknowable, mysterious oh faction. Whatever will we ghosts. do? Well, yeah. We don't have any idea. And then Like fourth edition and P.O.K. comes out and and Dane's obsessed with ghosts. So he writes like a bunch of fiction. And so it's like now we kind of know about the ghosts. And so now we need the Empyrean to be this weird and mysterious faction. There's always a need for an unknowable faction. Yeah. And I assume by by a next expansion or a fifth edition, we'll get more backstory in the Empyrean and then we'll just have to introduce some other unknowable thing. Because that's so far, that's kind of all Empyrean is, is they're like the watchers from the like darkness of space. They hang out in nebulas and stuff and they've just been keeping an eye on things. And now they think everybody's been not doing a good enough job, so they're going to step in or whatever. But we don't know any of their purposes or whatever. (laughs)
1: I do like and I do think that is actually kind of a distinction that's interesting for the Empyrean, that story-wise they, their intervention is like a a line in the sand that has been crossed. Yeah, yeah. So they're like it's it's like in comic book terms like well I guess I guess in comic book terms you have in in Marvel comics you have the Watchers mm-hmm. or whatever. I think that's what they're called. Um and yeah, it also would kind of signal if they were actually getting involved with things. Uh, there being some sort of very desperate situation, right? right? Like, story-wise, it implies like, uh uh-oh, there's the the Empyrean are here, and they don't get involved unless it's a real bad time. (laughs) So the Mahak coming back, obviously, being like that that trigger. Um, I think it would be interesting, then, if you know, I'm like obsessed with the idea of Twilight Imperium having, you know, more them- thematic cohesion uh-huh. and uh, being more a realization of a point in time in the story. Yeah. Um, almost in the same way that World of Warcraft works, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're playing the Prophecy of Kings expansion of, <laughs> of uh, Twilight Imperium, but I would also be down for a Twilight Imperium classic where we put the Imperium <laughs> away yeah. again, you know? Because, like, if they're. They're here because of a story reason, so if that story reason goes away for some reason, yeah. then also the Empyrean should go away, right. I think, which yeah. would be very interesting. Um and then also it would be fun like to do uh, a future scenario <laughs> where the Empyrean have returned and are different because they've been, you yeah. know, they've been back in the dark for so long, but now they've changed in some notable ways.
0: We need the universe of Twilight Imperium board games to open way up so that we can have little, like, smaller games that are all about specific incidents where it's like, this game, the only playable factions are, like, this random smattering of six, right? Because that's yeah. what this right. event was about or this moment about, was about yeah. this thing over here with like the Argent and a couple other factions or whatever. I want to see, I want to see those kinds of uh, blends in, in other mechanics, but uh, let's talk about the mechanics of the Empyrean. Uh, do we want to kick it off on or don't do you, w- w- would yeah. you like me to present you with some information about yeah, this present- faction? <laughs> Yeah, present me some stuff. Present me, <laughs> presenter. Their starting units are two carriers, one destroyer, two fighters, and four infantry, and then the space dock. That's a, that's a 2C4I, if I've ever heard of it, uh, plus the destroyer.
1: Yeah, I would actually say that their start is uh, just okay, yeah. uh, and I would actually say that it's kind of weak. They're yeah. kind of always like a little bit vulnerable, I would say, towards the beginning of the game. There's no dreadnought in there, yeah. and it's not like... I don't want to make it as simple as saying, like, oh, well, if a faction doesn't start with a Dreadnought, then they're weak, because that's (laughs) not really true. But in the case of Empyrean, it feels a little true, because they will always, or almost always, send that lone Destroyer to its own separate, empty space. I mean, you're not going to send the Carrier, right? And you're going to want to use your Agent on the first round and go ahead and start exploring Frontier Tokens. So very reliably uh empyrean is always spread kind of thin yeah. going into round two right. i would say that's like almost always true maybe if they get trade in the first round that's not quite true um but yeah i would say generally speaking they can have kind of a rough start i've been in situations where i was in between sar and cabal as empyrean and i felt that i basically had to beg yeah. to to stay in the game i in in the early game and, and by the time you get to the mid game things change once your economy catches up then no one can push you around anymore right but you really got to make some deals which is why it's kind of great that you have dark pact and that you can just Mm -hmm. give that to someone and that you don't need to charge anyone for it you can say hey cabal you're a two commodity faction but how about this time you're just gonna be rich too yeah. <laughs> like you're just gonna make money just and leave you get me alone. to do that with a player um, so yeah but the, of course they have to leave you alone but yeah there you go it's yeah. a good deal
0: it is yeah they're starting tech as dark energy tap they're the only faction that starts with it not by choice that's of course exempting winu and uh, council Klairs or whatever but they just they have right. dark energy tap which ties into that destroyer uh, and an agent we'll talk about later uh, their home system is a nebula which means it's mm-hmm. an anomaly which means yes. it counts for one-third of, uh, or it, it counts for objectives where anomalies are relevant. You can win a combat in your own home system and and brave the void. Like, you can do all sorts yeah. of anomaly things. You need to just have three systems adjacent to your home system to get that one other secret
1: objective. Uh, there are and, a lot of stupid ob- objectives yeah. because of this. I really don't like, I'll tell you this much. There's You can watch, on YouTube, you can watch a gameplay video that I put out last week yeah. of me playing as Empyrean. Uh, and this is a little bit of spoilers to that, for that. So go ahead and skip ahead if you don't want that game spoiled for you. But that stage two comes out. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's hard to lose when that stage two comes out. <laughs> and, and I felt bad for everybody. But yeah. I also was sort of like, I don't know. it's it's it's. I was fine with it also. Yeah, yeah, I was also like, you know, I'll, I, yeah, I'll win this game. But that <laughs> kind of felt like the seventh player delivered that outcome
0: to right. me. Right. And in addition to that, they have a single planet home system called the dark and it is a three four so it's lacking Mm -hmm. one of our tech dollars we'd like to freely tech but it's kind of a big influence home system as well
1: yeah so it's it's decent for double spending uh in any kind of round one diplo situation we'll talk about that more when we get to strategy cards. yeah but yeah that three resources that is rough about the worst thing that can happen to you is a is a action first action tech in round 1 yeah. i would say is pretty obnoxious for imperian. Yeah. Uh well, their abilities are voidborn,
0: the nebulae do not affect ship movement. This one's interesting because it kind of rarely comes up. There's only one nebula tile and then there's evera. If you get evera like in your slice, that's pretty cool. The one thing i think people always forget about is that like if other people come to take your home system for them to then leave later is like awkward right i mean it's rare that an imperium home system is like fully taken but you can't like that person then can't just like go jump out and do whatever it's like it's a very slow exit path to get out of the home system i don't know it doesn't come up all the time but basically this ability is purely existing because they decided to make their home system a nebula and so yeah they're, they're better about nebulas i guess if there happens to be one near them that is relevant
1: yeah you also don't have to stop you can go through a nebula right. which is good yeah. so like that i would say the most annoying thing about nebulas is ha- is that you can't go through them right. and so it's great that they i mean honestly if they couldn't they wouldn't really work as a faction so it's good that it's good that they have this rule yeah uh, aether passage after a player activates a system
0: you may allow that player to move their ships through systems that contain your ships so you can give other people lightwave deflectors through your stuff essentially
1: yeah um i feel like this is forgotten about a lot of the time Mm -hmm. um you know it's just it's just hard to remember that you can grant this because it's so specific it's just like oh i will let you go through mine um it's generally not going to be much of a factor in the early game unless some really weird stuff ends up happening yeah um but definitely remind everybody that you have this i mean because that's the kind of that's the kind of rule that it is is you have to say hey no no no, i have aether passage you can go through here right there should never be a time when somebody's like all right well i gotta blow this up yeah. you would be like no don't blow it up just yeah. come on through <laughs> if you're doing a planet swap with somebody they do not need to destroy the you Your gummed works, basically.
0: It's part of what makes Empyrean really good about thinking about wormhole positioning, too, right? I mean, Empyrean can just, like, be on Malice, and it doesn't affect anybody in a negative way. It's like, listen, I'm here, I have the token from Malice, but, like, y'all can just pop through these wormholes if you've got the extra movement, get there, or whatever. Like, I I like that part of an Empyrean game that gets in a lot of wormholes, which you'll probably also do, because all the empty wormholes you're likely to end up with, like, a single ship gummed there, even if it's, like, not that close to your home system and whatnot. Uh their, yeah. their last ability is Dark Whispers. During setup, take the additional Empyrean faction promissory notes. You have two faction promissory This is just a mechanical thing to say... Hey, make sure you have both of the faction promissory notes, which we will talk about both of them in just a second. But let's finish the faction sheet because we have a flagship called the Dynamo. The Dynamo? I don't know. Uh, Eight cost, two on a five, one move, three capacity, all standard stats. The ability, though, is after any player's units in this system or an adjacent system, use sustained damage, you may spend two influence to repair that unit so uh that's that can be huge uh you do it to every unit if you want you can do it to the yeah. dynamo itself it's rare to see this get sold this <laughs> this is this is, uh, nah, yeah, is empyrean's thing yeah uh, mm-hmm. i will note one specific interaction with this is like uh as with many things with the argent flight destroyers if those get their hits you know their their pre-combat anti-fighter barrage sustained damage that's not sustained damage That is them making the ship be damaged, but not using sustained damage, which means the
1: Dynamo is not allowed to hit. So Argent, a little bit of a counter
0: to specifically this
1: ship. Sure. Yeah, and I would say if there's anything that I want to de-emphasize from the first guide, I think we talked about this flagship too much the first time around. Uh, It's not a bad flagship by any means. But I do, uh, I've gotten to a point with realizing that the Empyrean can really defend their home system quite well. Ne- Nebula Defense is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's a one planet home system. Right. Uh, I've seen people build this because they feel like, oh, I like need it mm-hmm. to defend the home system. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. No. Um, and I think overall it it, it is, it's it's okay i'd put it in the middle somewhere as far as as flagships goes there's there's better things you can do i feel like with your money as empyrean than uh build this flagship right i think we thought it was so good last time but then
0: we also talked about and we will talk today again about the commander some but i think it's really just that it's enhanced sort of by the commander and being able to like get back in there with it or whatever like the reactivation things means just that this ability can come up more than one time per round, uh, whereas nor- if, if you didn't have your commander, that wouldn't necessarily be the case uh, or, or whatever. But let's talk about those promissory notes. The first one is Dark Pact, and it's as an action. So this one's a stall. They're both stalls. Uh, you place it in your area, your play area. When you give a number of commodities to the Empyrean Plater equal to your max commodity value, you each gain one trade good and then of course the rule of if you activate them you have to give it back so you have to give all of your commodities to empyrean and then both of you get a buck
1: yes um yeah it's kind of weird it's like you basically are saying all right the only person washing my commodities is going to be empyrean this used to be something that i felt like people tried to play against or at least the trade player would sort of be like yeah i'm gonna not refresh the the empyrean person uh, but lately i I don't I, people are just like, no, I want my dollar so like whatever it just doesn't matter because all that matters is who is who is washing the player that has dark pack right That's the only that's the only important part. yeah. um so it's really it's very nominal, but it just means that you and that player are gonna have a very solid reason to Uh, not have any aggression or at least they're going to have a solid reason not to have aggression against you right i mean you can still kind of do whatever you want to them right um but that's not generally how we play the early game i feel like as empyrean yeah your goal is going to be to make a buddy and make some extra money i do not understand what people sell this i'm sorry (laughs) i just don't i I don't think it's it's worth the trade good you get every time you do a deal with
0: that person and that person's getting guaranteed deals and you're getting their guaranteed commodities you know what I mean? it's like it's not just the trade good it's the like guarantee right. that I'm getting your wash I'm getting your yeah. commodities which means there's always a deal on the table for me and uh, it's gonna like upset some trade imbalances and whatnot right. so I, yeah I agree just get just get this in somebody's hand also
1: you want someone to have it because yeah. here's the thing is if you start trying to peddle it like you start trying to be like oh it costs something because it's a stall it has value for you uh-huh. it, it's a stall so, so you need to give me some money for it what if the player's like all right well i don't want it then yeah i mean like because now, you now you're could out. just because that's <laughs> the problem is that like you you want someone to have this you yeah. have an you have a vested interest you get a passive extra trade good that yep. by the way you want it from round one yeah. it's worth like every round you have to wait to get it out there it's worth less and less um i love giving it to claras yeah. that's that's a fun one to give it to although <laughs> I, I played with a Calaris player that kept washing their own commodities and so then i would look over and be like what Where'd about me? Commodities go? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't yeah, that 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 was like a funny thing to have to deal with. Yeah. But yeah, you you do need to you might have to remind some players like, hey, when you have commodities, you got wash them with me, bud. Yeah. You know? I would also say, too, the idea of like be
0: holding this one close to the chest in round one is pretty suspect because it's not usually that someone's trying to stall round one it's that they're trying to like make sure they're they use their thing before x strategy card yeah, pops. Like yeah. every once in a while the right faction like needs the stall so that then diplo pops and then they have the money to do tech or something like that like that can come up but it like they're it's rare that dark pact is being played specifically for the stall if anything people are nah. rushing it out because sometimes the trade player is like i'm planning to play trade first action so let's you know whatever i, I well it, sometimes you're rushing to get it out all that matters is that you don't like if you, you... don't do the trade until Yeah, yeah the, the tra- yeah. the trade can happen, the people can be sitting on their commodities and then do the do the swap.
1: The problem whatever. is that generally, especially you as the Imperium player, you need that money. Right. You know, you, you, right. you want at least one dollar as soon as possible so that you can tech round one. Yeah. So yeah, just remember that yeah. basically. Their other
0: faction promissory note is blood packed and it's also as an action place in your play area. When you and the Imperium player cast votes for the same outcome, cast four additional votes. And if you activate them, give it back. Uh, not nearly the same uh, level of, ooh, I need yeah. to hold on to this. I'll, I won't be attacking the Imperium player anytime soon. This one is more right. about
1: selling a stall. I, I would. Yeah. yeah. This, this is your stall to sell um, the four votes will you'll never be able to predict whether the four votes will matter yeah um, you'll never be able to predict whether you and the other person are going to have the same interest in a specific agenda yep. um i yeah i just i really would not stress it on this one give it away for a cookie if somebody wants it <laughs> let people know in the late game that if they need a stall you've got them you know like literally getting any value out of blood pact is is good good play in my opinion yeah Uh, Okay, they've got a mech here. Uh,
0: The Watcher is two costs, six combat, sustain, normal stats. You may remove this unit from a system that contains or is adjacent to another player's units. Units, specifically, not just their planets that are empty. Units. Units. To cancel an action card played by that player. So this is what Hunter was talking about earlier, where this is kind of a... It's a sabotage. That can sabotage a sabotage, right? That's a huge deal. But this, cool. this positioning is like actually quite critical.
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to get it right. Um, it's great to have one on Mechatol Rex, but you're not really the best Mechatol Rex faction anyways. So yeah. like, how often are you gonna be the person hanging on to it in the mid game? I kind of doubt it. Uh, Malice is obviously a really good place to park them. Uh, you kind of just like, I would say the watcher, the best way to play it is just as best as you can figure. Yeah. But don't try to organize your entire game around it. Right. Um, it is, a, it is, I would say, like the Dynamo. It's something that was possibly overemphasized in the first Empyrean episode. Uh, to me, it is not the star player. It is an awesome option, and when it is important, it makes Empyrean look good. Yeah. But it is not the bread and butter by which you will win your games. Right. Basically. Yeah.
0: It's nice to have him out there. I would say... An Empyrean with Hope's End is something the table should not be happy with. (laughs) And I I, I feel like last year in the tournament, we saw that happen a lot. Mm -hmm. And Empyrean won all the time. And a little bit of it is like, well, yeah, when you can literally just put those mechs wherever you want, always out there on the front lines, like that is a significant nuisance. So uh, playing against the Empyrean, it's not cozy when they have Hope's End. Uh, Let's talk about their leader suite. Their agent is Akamar, the gift of the night. Uh, after a player moves ships into a system that does not contain any planets, you may exhaust this card that player gains one command token. So it's after move. The timing isn't yeah. like critically important. It's it's not going to actually like affect anything else. But it's just noteworthy that DET is then an ability that activates when you have ships at the end of a turn. So you like right. get your token back, assign it, then reveal your DET Prize or whatever. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I think Akamar is the MVP of the entire kit. Wow, Akamar cool. is the linchpin of the entire operation. Yeah. We don't have Akamar, then none of this makes sense, basically. <laughs> um, and I feel like that's something that now that I've spent more time with Empyrean, I mm-hmm. have the wisdom to just recognize him and kind of sing his praises. <laughs> um he is not in a vacuum, the greatest agent in the game. However, if you take him away from the empyrean our whole thing gets really messed up and what i love about him also is that he still kind of he matters the whole game which is like not not every agent is like that right you will be using akamar the whole time right the fact that you can even i mean because in a way He's a stall. Now he's a stall where you gotta move something, which is actually kind of a the best way to do it. You're saying (laughs) I'm gonna do something something sort of useful. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm gonna use Akamar uh and get a token back. Now the only problem is that, you know, you it we're moving a ship, so something's gotta do something, right? Right. But as long as as long as you have ships, which hopefully we're we're (laughs) advising you to have ships in in this episode. (laughs) Right. Uh and yeah, there there's a lot of value you can get out of them. Yeah. Um the I would say the the watch watch the the YouTube one that I just put up. Yeah. watch my Empyrean game because you'll you will see that game comes down to Akamar oh, as, as the as like the deciding factor yeah. for the entire game. And it's it's pretty wild. Um obviously DET is not as much fun if we don't have Akamar. Right. Uh our round 1 makes Way less sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Is Akamar something we're going to sell? Probably never, because we're probably always going to use it. It it plays into the commander. It plays into the hero. Like it it is the thing that connects to most of the other uh, elements of the kit.
0: I mean, if you're talking about economic gains, that just like like in terms of just raw value of stuff in this game, like Akamar is worth fifteen influence, right? Yeah, that is crazy wild, and not just fifteen influence. But like, you know how sometimes you have to decide if this as another faction, you have to decide if this command counter right now is actually worth it to go do this DET to then yeah. get some benefit. Like, you know, you're going to get a benefit, but you're like, ah, I, I just can't do it this round. I can't I, I can't risk it. And for right. Akamar, it is not a risk, which means then you're also getting the benefits of those things like it's not just that you can do det more often yes. than the people it's that you feel this freedom to not be beholden to anything which means you get 15 influence plus everything you gain from the det
1: deck like that's the economic right. gains of the empyrean that, that's where you make your money which after codex 3 means that a lot of that is just even more command tokens right. or even more money right. to turn into you know an economic advantage yeah what we're basically saying is hey gamble but with a high odd that you will actually get something right, good right. and then also you're basically getting one of the federation of soul abilities yes. on top of that and it's in the action phase which right. is when you know more stuff right it's i would always love to gain a command counter in the action phase because that's when i'm most like you know what i need to follow etc yeah. strategy card now right uh that i wish i had had allocated correctly you that's can kind of so allocate true. a little bit looser yep. because now I mean, it doesn't say gain that command token to anywhere in particular. Right. I mean, you Just can put, put it in where your you fleet need pool it. if you right. want. Like, yeah, it's, it is... It has the versatility that kind of rivals like why we like predictive in the late game these yeah. days, you know?
0: Comparing it to the soul ability is not something I had thought of before. But yeah, it's ridiculous that they have a literally more versatile usage of soul's extra command counter yep. per round. Yep. I love his lore too. Akamar the observer, greatest of the void captains of the Empyrean. I think yeah. Hunter agrees with that assertion <laughs> by Akamar himself. Uh let's Absolutely. talk about the commander. Our commander is Zwong. Xuange, the archivist, and the unlock is to be neighbors with all other players, which is not too hard, right? We are, are we are incentivized to put ships out in random spaces on the board. This just has to very for natural you. for us to do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the ability is after another player moves ships into a system that contains one of your command tokens, you may return that token to your reinforcements. So when they move in, it's notable that this doesn't work if someone just activates your stuff. And you know, like sometimes you're in a weird position where like someone's just activating you, but not yeah. doing a move or whatever. And that doesn't get to count for this. Now they could do the thing where they just like move a destroyer out and back in if they're not like, if, if that's possible for them or whatever. But I just wanted to, that's, that's one little hang up I've seen maybe a couple times, but yeah, this, this is the thing we talked about earlier where like your home system is much better now because, uh, People taking your... You can build, and then someone can try to take your home system. Yep. And then you can send other stuff from elsewhere to come attack your home system again. Like, you get a free retaliation on an attempt against your home system.
1: Yep. Yeah, it uh, it has... You know, it's a very good late-game commander. Um, It occasionally gets a starring role in the mid-game as uh-huh. well. It is a surprising... It's a surprisingly good commander. Um, Every once in a while I'll play a game and somebody will really want to buy my alliance because of some use they've come up with for this commander. So I would encourage other people to remember that this guy is out there. Um, It's funny. The way the leader suite works to me is like, you know, you've got Akamar who's important at the beginning, important at the end. You have the commander that's important at the end, and then you have the hero that's like a mid game yeah, thing. Right. Like it's like it's all kind of jumbled as far as the order. But yeah. The commander, <laughs> I would I would say normally is not going to be that important until possibly round five. And that's only if you're winning. Yeah. Nobody really cares about this commander if you're losing. Sure, you know, it's sure. not it's not effective in that way. But it can be like I I do want to talk a little bit about the the silliness that you were sort of
0: uh alluding to, which is that like this is a windslay tool when it needs to be, which is to say, like, uh, uh, the Empyrean can move. They have a lot of movement, which we haven't even covered yet. We, we're about to get right. into some text. that we're are not moving. there yet. You can move really far, and then your windslaying cohort can, like, send a single destroyer into you, unlock that fleet, and then you can send that fleet further to where it was Fully trying to get right like you can get to other people's yeah. home systems and stuff that that's the stuff we've seen of you know uh, an Empyrean who doesn't have it all locked up but can be a part of a windslay carousel I mean that's effectively the Mahawked ability right but it, but it doesn't cost Mahawk the token it costs somebody else the token for you to unlock my fleet like that's pretty wild and I've seen come up on, on a few occasions
1: yeah i mean it's it's definitely an option i would say that that level of collusion i mean good luck y'all being that diplomatic with each other to actually like figure that out but yeah in a situation where empyrean and somebody else just needs another round to have another shot at it then yeah absolutely you could see that that level of of nastiness with this commander and finally is multiverse shift
0: opening the eye there's so many uh words on <laughs> on leaders conservator procyon is the person's name right yeah. one with the void and then you flip it over and it's the ability multiverse shift and opening it like why is there this much flavor to i don't know i i'm i'm fascinated by leader card design a little bit and and with Empyrean yeah, it's even more all nebulous anyways this is an action place one frontier token in each system that does not contain any planets and does not already have a frontier token, then explore each frontier token that is in a system that contains one or more of your ships. Then purge this card. So this is that ability. We see Empyrean sort of deciding how much they want to gamble. Should I spend this round sending a bunch of ships out to a whole bunch more spaces? Can I get 6 frontiers off of this or should I stick with 3 or whatever? This this is this is the how hard do you think you need to push your luck, hero?
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, three is fine, everybody. Go. Don't, please don't ruin the game. I, Matt just said six. And I I'm know. like, well, hey, yeah, let's That's not do absurd. that. Let's, <laughs> don't do six. Just don't worry about it, okay? If you're like, I'm, I am I got to get six. Yeah, it's I mean, unless they're all on your side of the table. I yeah. mean, obviously, if it's easy, if it's already six. there, if you're already in five, whatever, if it's if it's already there, then whatever. But, you know, I you unlock this around round three or round four. And by then, because of the agent, I know that you are probably in three or four. Mm-hmm. And I would say most of the time, that's OK. Just yeah. go for it. Yep. If you're getting three or four, I, that's considered good to me. Right. Um. And also, like, sometimes there's situations where, OK, I could play the hero, and maybe I'll just get, like, two. But there's been a lot of other players with DET that are, like, exploring. Yeah. And just throwing out those other frontier tokens, if I'm the one that can, like, get them before the other person, then that's still pretty good, right? Right. Right. Like, people rarely beat us, even if they get DET, because of the agent. But, like, it does happen where, like, it gets competitive out there in the frontiers. Yeah. Um, And then you just got to get whatever value out of this you can. I feel like there's no reason to, like, really hold on to it. Uh, cash it in as soon as you can just to get that momentum. Because yep. the whole idea is that in the frontier deck is where we get a lot of uh, extra economic advantage. Mm-hmm. And I feel like almost every game I play with Imperium, I end up getting ahead on tokens before round five. And I yeah. always like that feeling of coming into round five, feeling like, all right, I just got I got enough extra tokens. My agent gave me extra tokens. I got extra tokens from the frontier deck. Right. I got extra uh trade goods that i turned into tokens like hopefully going into round five you are you have an excess of plastic and tokens um and that's i would say the outcome we're looking for not oh i held on to the hero until round five yeah and then I played it for max value and also it was a stall. It's like, I, I think that's unnecessary. There's stalls yeah. in the frontier deck that you might pick up, right. you know? Well, that's the big
0: thing is is what you're getting out of that frontier deck is not going to be something that needed to show up at the final hour. You know what I mean? It's right. all of those things are fine to just be to, to bank whenever. And also the reason I like oppose the stretch out and try to get into as many empty systems is the whole point of this being a beneficial thing for you is we're mostly using Akamar for our DET. We're not just like also burning tokens yes. on these explorers. We're not that's when it becomes a gamble, right? It cost me something. Akamar doesn't cost me anything, which means I'm getting so right. so within the round I'm doing the hero, it needs to be on whatever I'm already in and can Akamar into, basically. And beyond that, like now I'm suffering losses to potentially reap some benefits like that's when the deck becomes a questionable thing but as it stands what we covered earlier is for imperium the frontier deck is only net positives if you're not spend actually spending a token
1: to do your stuff yeah absolutely um and i think yeah keeping it at that level and keeping your momentum going forward means i think overall you're gonna have a better time like it's like the frontier deck has like a a high floor yeah um the ceiling is quite high as well i mean we could always draw a relic and it end up being you know shard or uh or obsidian, obsidian or yeah. whatever um but th- i mean that's kind of a chance on a chance right sure, sure um overall the expected outcome is we get uh our money back and then some yeah and that's i would say is like kind of where it cuts across with with the frontier deck right uh their tech uh
0: their first tech is aether stream so uh it's similar to aether passage this is two blue we start with one blue we just get one more, and then we can get Aether Stream. Aether Stream is after you or one of your neighbors activates a system that is adjacent to an anomaly. That's two That's two weird factors. <laughs> one, yeah. You or one of your neighbors activates a system adjacent to an anomaly. You may apply plus one movement value to all of that player's ships during this tactical action. I think I even forget that the neighbor thing is relevant here because, yeah. well, so yeah. often Empyrean generally is neighbors with it they had to become neighbors with everybody to unlock their commander right but you can lose access to this in the game and i think i forget that i think i just think aether stream is an ability you have that anybody can get plus one movement whenever they want it
1: yeah and it's after activation it's not movement so like you can't establish yeah you can't become neighbors and then get aether stream you got to already be neighbors Mm -hmm. uh before movement even starts So yeah, I mean, that is important to remember. That's kind of more, you know, Empyreans don't cheat, you know, but also like everyone else has to kind of hold Empyrean, everyone else has to remember um, so that Aether Stream can be used uh, correctly. Plus one movement value to all ships is their wildest thing that they can really kind of coast on this tech. This tech almost makes it feel like, I don't know, does Empyrean even need tech after this? Right. I would say their core tech might just be this, depending on how the map is set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You could just get this, and then that's fine. Do we need unit upgrades? Nope. We got movement. We got movement across the board. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. The idea that gravity drive is
0: just one, you could have gotten that on the way to this, so then you have one thing that is plus two movement, and everything else is plus one. That's what upgrades do. Do. Yeah. But it's that's what per it ship type, and you're doing it to all of them no matter what. It's it's a pretty astounding, and that's like the main reason we get unit upgrades. Most unit upgrades we do not get for their one increase to combat value, or whatever. Destroyer right. two is like the only one where we're like, what well, yeah, I really like that X, that like way souped up anti-fighter barrage. Uh, but everything else, this is the reason for it. Uh our next tech is we won't sing as many praises about. It's Void Watch. This requires one green. After a player moves ships into a system that contains one or more of your units, they must give you one promissory note from their hand, if able.
1: Yeah, so this is part of that, you know, there's the Mentech commander that does a similar thing. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, Dane. Dane is trying to make the giving, having to give promissory notes up thing happen. There's yeah. the Nalu hero... <laughs> um and i just feel like it hasn't it that that hasn't quite connected yet it hasn't felt like n- none of those abilities i feel like have really kind of established a value because once you get a promissory note there's just a chance of it being important yeah. you know what i mean like it's not it's not g- any kind of guaranteed value and there's so many there's, there's so many trashy promissory notes that yeah. you don't need at various points of, the, of time. Like, the fact that once we hit, like, round four or round five, you don't even need your trade agreement anymore, yeah. that's a bummer, right. you know? Um, so, yeah, I would say Void Watch, it. you know, I, I would love to root for it. It's definitely an underdog here, Um, but there's too much other good stuff yep. for me to bother like really exploring this one. I've right. definitely seen players research it. I've researched it myself one time. Um, <laughs> I've never seen a, a major play yeah. around Void Watch yeah. at this point. Well, and without the green skip, you're
0: talking about going too deep into green and what's that other green? T- it's like it's also a waste of time to get up to its part. Also, I just want to hilariously point out some, uh, some pre errata. People were talking about the uselessness of Void Watch and how sometimes it's... So first off, Void Watch is not a May. They, like it absolutely, they must give you a promissory note, even if they're like working with you, right? The idea being yeah. sometimes, like right. we described earlier, I want you to move a ship into me to then do this, but it's going to cost me a promissory note. And Duke Lucum wanted to point out, like, it's really not op. I mean, it is optional because Empyrean can just give them a promissory note before they move a thing in, and then they move in, and then you 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 forcibly take the note back from them. Right. So it's like, it, it's just, across the board, it's just like this dumb thing that sort of exists. Uh, their last thing that we didn't say earlier, four commodities. They're a four commodity faction, which is, uh, yep. we should have said it earlier with, the, uh, with Dark Pack, that's useful considering, I mean, like, what's a common trade thing? X minus one, where I want to give you one less than your commodity total, you're going to give me your four commodities? I always have, I always have it, right? That's the, The idea here is i've always got money to do that wash with my dark pact person if 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 i were a two commodity faction as empyrean that would be a much more complicated thing to work out because there would be times when you're like i can only give you two commodities but i want you to give me all four with the dark pact and then it's like that's a way 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 better deal for the empyrean i don't want to do that like the idea that this is enough commodities to always make that deal work makes the deal even easier to like we said earlier just do it shut up just do the thing okay just put it out there and have and make your money
2: (laughs)
1: yeah absolutely but yeah so that's the kit uh very i mean very good and very well designed and i love the way it all flows together yep um but we got to talk about problems we can't just Say it's good and then move <laughs> on we can't just list it all for you. How do we make and it then better just clock out <laughs> um there are problems though. it's not Imperian is not I would not include them in s tier overall. I would not say that they are the best of the best. i I think they're a solid kind of a tier faction. um I think the things that hold them back are all early game stuff. We're a bit wimpy. You no know, we we start with no dreadnoughts, no cruisers, and we're inclined to like spread out, which is a point I've basically already made. but also, Starting with three resources, not great. Um yeah. it means that in a situation where things are popping early, we're kind of like a little bit scared of round 1. Yeah. Like let's say we have bad speaker position round 1 and right. then we're at the mercy of tech and warfare pops that we perhaps want to use. I mean, I know we want tech, we don't necessarily want warfare, but you know, it's 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 uh, it can get a little rough out there. I would say another big thing is production capacity. We oh, would yeah. love to just have a whole bunch of carriers and a whole bunch of fighters (laughs) nebula defense really kind of works wonders with carriers and fighters yeah but we are building five units you know each round yeah um i would say like that that can get a little tight uh love a forward dock to fix that love sling relay to fix that yeah um in fact, I've, I've survived a lot of games off just Sling Relay and no forward dock. Mm-hmm. But I would say that in that situation is when I would say, oh, well, maybe we do need the flagship. Uh, maybe right. it's more of a Dreads game and we're hoping uh, that that we have just enough soak to kind of pull it off. I think ideally this would be a, a carrier faction, right? Yeah. But that production capacity thing is always going to sort of be there bothering us a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's just not there's not a really easy way... To fix that but luckily we're rich so yeah <laughs> i mean that's that's kind of the the the, uh, the other side of that coin is we're we're really versatile yeah. we're like nas but we're more obvious yeah um but we're less gambly so like we're it's not like we're gonna get all the relics we need in one game and just kind of you know you know storm the gates or whatever and yeah. just win the game right um we don't necessarily have powerful punchy abilities but we have versatile movement uh super diplomatic promissory note a uh, lot of easy free money that yeah. is just on the table that we're gonna have um and then yeah just all of the delving into the frontier deck which is the best deck by the by the way yeah like it's the best exploration deck that you could have access to right um i love that it's, it's like if someone doesn't understand the strength of gumming the works at this point, just play one game of Empyrean, yeah. <laughs> and suddenly you'll get it. You'll be like, oh, having a ship and a system, that's got its own value to it. That's yeah. not worthless. That right. actually has its own thing. Um, And the fact that this is a faction that sort of just teaches you that, I kind of wish there were like more factions that instruct yeah. in this way right. Um, that I feel like Empyrean does. I love them. I think they're great. They're also easy to play, though. I mean, it's just like I don't even know what are coast, we even doing today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know how to play them. Come on, no one's confused. Well,
0: let's take a quick break, and then we will still go through the motions of telling you how to do things with this very good faction. But it, yeah. it does feel like we've already covered
1: how everything it does works. It feel like we've done it. <laughs> but we'll maybe we'll goof around a little in the second half. Stick around, everybody.
0: Welcome back. Hello. I hope you enjoyed your vacation from this show. Everyone, it's time for Mm -hmm. us to get into the early game. Uh, We like to talk about the strategy cards at this part of the game, what you want in round one. Uh, And Hunter was keen to point out that we have wimpy starts. We we do have, if we have issues, they're in this round, it sounds like. So Hunter, what are our solutions depending on what strategy card we can get a hold of? Let's start with leadership.
1: Yeah, so leadership I would say is actually a little not great. Yeah. Um, for us. Uh I feel like it's a little bit win more. Uh for Empyrean. We have great token economy. Like I'd rather get a better advantage over it, mm-hmm. um over the situation. Uh, and I'd rather have more versatility than just merely saying I'm taking, you know, command counters. It can make sense to someone. Like they'll be like, Oh, I have a lot of reasons to To have command counters to do to send more ships to more empty spaces, but like you're going to get them. Yeah. So I find that to me it ranks pretty low. In a last pick situation, I would probably pick uh Diplo. I feel like I'm kind of a broken record at that, but also sometimes people take Diplo before last pick. Yeah. If I'm picking between like leadership or construction, it'd be tough because like we have production capacity problems. So like getting a forward dock, especially if we have a juicy planet, put it on. Uh, is going to pay off in a way that I think leadership just kind of don't. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. it's tokens we're going to get um, and I would rather trust in us having a great token economy and fix something like production capacity versus like, you know, just merely take the win more. So yeah, I would say leadership actually might be my worst. Yeah. I mean, next to Imperial, which isn't even really an important discussion. But right. yeah, I think I'd think I put leadership quite low. Yeah,
0: I would say my only other thing I can think of as like a reason for it to be our last pick situation is if somehow we are like, if we're literally six pick and first pick was trade, right? And we can be adjacent to trade and are guaranteed actually some nice big bucks. I can just see leadership as a, like a way to and like diplos on the table, or whatever, like leadership can be accessed to as many secondaries as we want to do round one. Again, <clears throat> that's all in this last pick scenario where it's like, what are we trying to gain out of this? Well, like you're going to have the command tokens later, right? So I guess I'm saying take leadership and spend the tokens this round to improve your round one as best as you feasibly can. Send your stuff out and do Diplo Tech and Warfare or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, I my problem with this is that I think that Warfare is probably the kind of unimportant one Uh in that group. Uh, Diplo and Tech make a lot of sense to me. Um, unless you're surrounded by three different systems that you can invade mm-hmm. I feel like the warfare secondary is kind of just not a necessary. thing I don't know it's yeah. just, just like not it's it's we're gonna activate our home system anyways we get that that free token back yeah so we have the tokens to send all three of our ships out and activate at home yep. and build and I would rather do that and have uh, a a forward dock yep. I would say yeah than, than leadership tell me about Diplo Diplo, uh, it's good. We have a good home system for it. It's kind of the theme of Prophecy of Kings is having these home systems that have uh, some resources and some influence. Yeah. Uh, so double spending, us being the Diplo player is totally fine. Uh, also blue, blue skipping to Aether Passage round one is fun and really <laughs> helps us like kind of have a lot of versatility out of the gate. Um, obviously, that de- it. anytime we talk about Aether Stream on this show it is with an understanding that like your map needs to be built a certain way for it to be effective. So if we say anything about that tech, then you're like, Oh, that doesn't make sense. I'm in my game. And it's like, yeah, well, I mean that it just depends on where the anomalies are because their placement matters a whole heck of a lot. I would say a situation where, um, aether passage doesn't get me to mechatol Rex is a situation where I kind of think it's less valuable. Um, but hopefully one of, hopefully that isn't a thing. Um, but yeah so Diplo's useful gets us uh gets us a little bit of uh extra money yeah it gets everybody else extra money too but we need it uh round one even more than i would say they would and also the thing about a faction like empyrean is you don't really have to worry so much about floating all the boats because mm-hmm. we're a very floaty boat yeah if everyone is rich well yeah. empyrean gets naturally even like if, if there are some situations i feel like where empyrean makes more money than hakan even does depending on how that frontier deck uh plays out so yeah uh don't worry about being scared of diplo just take it it's it's gonna be useful to you are
0: we introducing a new term very buoyant factions the the floatiest Mm -hmm. of boats this is a buoyant faction
1: (laughs) empyrean is very buoyant and they would love (laughs) to float along with everyone else yeah sounds good okay cool uh politics uh we're talking about a we're a blue tech faction we have some yep. movement is that relevant yep. here absolutely um we would love to c- take custodians we got the money for it uh we can handle it we got four influence at home yeah we can do it um are we a good round one uh custodians faction not really we're not on that level um the the christmas land is double tech right? yeah, And then uh, use Gravity Drive and Aether Stream. Uh, It's a bit much. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's kind of a we're next to trade and Diplo is out there kind of situation. Um, But uh, it's way more reasonable, I would say, for us to end up with Gravity Drive at the top of round two first pick. That's something we can do. Now, obviously, you have to be able to look at the table and assess whether someone is going to get custodians round one yep but i would say after trade and technology this is a solid pick for us even if we don't get custodians it's yeah. just a good one right it's just always it's a kind of always got that value but definitely for imperium
0: yeah i mean what uh this is a faction who lives rich which means in general playing the speaker game at least a little bit has relevance throughout the game like some, some semblance of speaker control you are not in any desperate situation, which means you can play speaker control. And that that can start round one into round two uh, or whatever. OK, construction. We are what? We're blue tech. Uh, maybe we don't gravity drive round one. Maybe we sling relay. Is that is that the do we even like that play? Or is that just like because it's something to do?
1: <laughs> uh no, I, I, I love that play. Okay. Sling is fantastic for imperium yeah. because like I said, we got a production capacity problem. Yeah. So having a forward dock is helpful but also having sling relay is helpful. Having both sounds great to me. Yeah. Um I think construction is a great last pick for Imperium. Um I don't know if I'd pick it sooner than that. I think I'd rather have just money yeah. uh, and value. So diplomacy is always going to be like a likely one for me. Yeah. Um construction though it does help us solve some problems. Really it's I, I mean it's only competition is you know we were talking about leadership before. Uh-huh. Um, I think I like I like how absolutely construction addresses one of our problems True. in a way that leadership does not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, OK, well,
0: we are money bags and trade is trade and trade is good. Man, let me tell you, I'm in a game right now. There's no Imperium, but there is a Hakan, and there's a Council of Calaris and there's Mahakt. And we are in round two and nobody has taken trade either round. I've never seen that before nobody took yeah. trade in this game that's just it's got two trade. trade is worth five trade goods at least in round three <laughs> uh so that's weird
1: uh and if Imperium had been here i think they would have taken trade right sounds like a bunch of try hard weirdos <laughs> that you're playing with to be honest but uh yeah so so trade is excellent for Imperium. maybe my favorite thing for them uh it's you know they rival hakan as far as like how much money they can uh they can skirt in they're basically a five commodity faction yep. uh with uh with uh dark pact or whatever yeah um so yeah take it take it first round take it last round take it all the rounds, <laughs> take it every single round uh it's very useful and you're good at it uh you literally your trade ship is something you get to put out there for free yep you get the token back yeah i mean how much easier could it be i don't even know <laughs> Um, I mean, I guess it could be that you can just trade with everyone and you don't need to be adjacent to them, Hakan. But, like, I don't know. It's it's good. Yeah. It's, I don't even know how else to explain it to you. Trade is Trade is the best.
0: Well, and one thing you said earlier is, like, they don't have anything in their kit that specifically, like, packs a big punch. But the alternative to that is just more stuff than everybody else, right? And that's what money buys you. Money buys you more stuff and that's what packs your punch. So, if you need muscle at your table... Like trade is your access to that game. Long it's just like have money to get the ships you need when you need them or whatever. Just stay stay rich, stay rich in capital, stay rich in ships and all that. Uh, Let's talk about warfare.
1: Yeah, warfare sucks uh, (laughs) and it's bad. Uh, uh, We don't need it. We need Uh, an episode.
0: We just need an episode where you get to talk for an hour and a half about like why warfare sucks and talking people into the the new way of thinking. It's wild that we had a world where it was. Warfare was everything in, in base game and Diplo was trash and things have shifted so much so much now uh, where I just feel like we need to like have a full episode about like why warfare sucks for most factions.
1: I just don't I, I'm just not seeing what they get out of it. Yeah, um, there there are weird Christmas land situations where warfare could enable you to get custodians round one. Uh-huh. Um, I see that argument. Uh, it's mostly based off luck and very specific timings. Um. I think if I'm playing Empyrean, I don't want warfare myself, and I don't care if anybody takes it. Uh, I like when people don't take it because it, it there are, you know a handful of factions that it slows down. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm fine with that. I have no problem just expanding with my two carriers and then activating at home to build more stuff. It's everything's gonna be okay. Yeah. You know, right? Um, I do not need the secondary of warfare. Um, I do not need to pick up gravity drive and then use the primary and then take custodians like there's no value there that i feel like you can convince me makes it like okay to give everyone else the secondary of warfare basically right because those small the handful of fat i just feel like you should make someone take warfare that needs warfare yeah that's how i would do it right Make um, because make Nalu often,
0: take warfare. Force yeah. Nalu to they they've already been given a way better start these days. Force
1: Nalu to take warfare. That's like about it, right? <laughs> like, for force someone to take it that that actually can do something reliable with it. Um, you know, we just got done talking about trade. Trade is literally guaranteed value, and the ceiling for how much you can get out of trade round one is quite high with Empyrean. Yeah. yeah. Um and yeah, I would I would much rather just just take all that money um and not worry about it so much so yeah i i don't see empyrean is really having any i mean i actually don't think i would take warfare round one with empyrean under any circumstance because even the christmas land i'm coming up with involves like hidden information yep. that i don't know about right. so right. i'm probably probably not into that yeah and since we don't really ever talk about imperial Round one let's close things off with technology yeah so I like tech because it makes me feel safe because yeah. like the only thing I get worried about is not getting Tech round one. Now, let's talk about how important that even is. It's not yeah. I <laughs> didn't get Tech yeah, round yeah. one in the most recent game that I played as Empyrean and it's not like it ruined my life. yeah uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about tech next and there is not a lot of core tech for this faction. It's one of their biggest strengths yeah that they get so much done with so little tech yeah. beautiful. Um, so yeah. If, if you don't care about tech round one, it's going to be okay. I don't yeah. know. You, you'll probably still survive. Uh, I think that I like having Gravity Drive into round two reasonably. Mm-hmm. It's going to help with things like getting even more DET tokens. You kind of want to fan out your... Dest- Ooh, let's talk about this. I mean, I was going to save this for positioning, but it's. I think it's good to explain what do you want with Gravity Drive early yeah. anyways. Right. Um, and I would say it's this. You kind of want to fan your Destroyers out in a very particular way. Uh-huh. We would like to build destroyers uh, round one and round two yeah. so that we can continue with our DET token stuff. And we wanna move destroyers out that are coming from home yeah. to the new token. right? And we wanna leave the old destroyers where they are at yeah, because we get to use the agent again we, and we keep the gum. We want to keep that gum, and we want to be able to reuse those destroyers on the hero, right? So we just want those destroyers to go out, sit in an empty space, and then just stay there. And they're just kind of dead, hanging out there until the end of the game when we fall back to our home system, and we can move them back for a little bit more HP. So gravity drive helps us because then we can get three movement destroyers. Those can get wherever they need to go, you know. And then, and then, in round two, we get Aetherstream, stream, and then our destroyers are four
0: movement, and they yeah, get and to then the next spot. like yeah, you you absolutely. have this obvious pecking order the, the another way to just word that is like to take a single destroyer in an empty system from that empty system to a new empty system, you should think of that as a little bit of a cost. It's not yeah. actually an economic cost, but you have lost something in doing that, and you should seek to avoid it. Is it the end of the world? No. Do what you gotta do, but it's it it is a cost that you need to consider in what you're what you're doing. So yeah, I I, I like that as the as the point to go ahead and try to get gravity drive round one. But I've definitely, especially because we've been doing POK factions that are good, I keep not teching round one. Like especially because timings just keep getting really ugly, uh, and I'm just seeing mm-hmm. these days again with my game with like no trade and stuff strategy card picks I think are more versatile than they've ever been there's not like a known just like these are the six strategy cards that will be in round one and where they'll be and whatnot like things are really flexible these days which to me is fun but also means round one is like more unpredictable than it's ever been and then so sometimes yeah like like you said tech is a safe pick and sometimes you don't have that safety which means then it's just like well okay i'm not teching this round i'll i'll right. politics into tech next round or or whatever whatever it is
1: don't stress it over tech but it's good to have yeah i guess that's how i would put it well let's talk about the tech path
0: then let's talk about what we are uh after you said it's shallow we've basically already said you just need aether stream uh you know if we want to go beyond that where do we go
1: yeah so i mean it with no skip it's basically gravity drive or sling relay into aether stream and then i would say we're mostly done like yeah. we could win a game off that sure. that, that doesn't seem like too far-fetched or as far as supplementing it the obvious stuff is of course deep blue you could just you just research all the blue tech right and that six seems blue good.
0: empyrean is yeah. a really good faction
1: <laughs> yeah fleet logistics light wave is obviously great light wave actually has like or once like a like a earlier kick in as far as like how good it is for us because yeah. it will help us get to even more empty space you know that's like kind of the only thing in our way is other people's ships right, right? um so yeah light wave is going to be awesome Logistics, I feel like commonly helps people like tie up the game at the very, very end. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, depending on the objectives, it might be uh worthwhile, it might not be. Yeah. Um, unit upgrades, o- oddly enough, like we just don't really need them, which is strange. I do really like Carrier 2 still, not for the movement, for the capacity. Yeah. Um, but that also relies on like how's our production looking? Like yeah. a lot of times you have to play like kind of a dreadnought focused Imperium, which is also like kind of a weakness, right? Yeah. Um, because i feel like it doesn't go with nebula defense i mean nebula right. defense is kind of the more dice we're rolling the bigger i feel like the advantage of that right um and dread is like well we're just gonna roll a die and yeah. yeah okay fine it's you know yeah it's it's really an hp thing uh
0: for the nebula defense right it's, it's less about us right. having i mean a lot of f- fighter roles is great but it's more specifically have the hp to outlast them missing more often than they would normally miss
1: yeah you're you're correct so it feels like they're kind of a carrier two faction that then doesn't have the biggest reason to get carrier two yeah. and also doesn't have the capacity to build a lot of fighters yeah. but let's think of it like that's the platonic ideal sure and if we miss that it's just not the biggest thing in the yeah. world um i will say dread two can matter sometimes mm-hmm. if like aether stream is not set up to be fantastic we're the, we're such like a map dependent faction yeah um but oftentimes the map is good for us sometimes i have played on maps where i was like "Ah, oh, ether stream it's not it's not doing what it's supposed to yeah, do yeah. this time <laughs> and then you do have to play it kind of straight up normal style yeah. almost like i'm just a blue faction right um which guess what those are good too so it's not that big of a deal you yeah. know like if that's if that's how it turned out for you then whatever um we can talk about other tech, but to be honest, a lot of times you're just going to go blue only. Yeah. Uh, I think predictive is still a great tech and very useful for Empyrean in the late game because we have a strong token economy. Yeah. And that means being able to flip everything around is always going to be good. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of games where you're really going to be happy that you had predictive in round five. And I think Empyrean is a likely faction for that. But we could just continue with, with blue and then that could just be it yeah i mean it's like the most common thing for imperium to only have blue tech it's yeah. like a very right. very you see it all the time yeah and i wouldn't um, it's like i don't know if i would get one of the other yellow techs. it's like with the yellow skip heck yeah
0: let's jump on predictive with with some extra time but if, right. if it's costing you two tech pops to get there that's when it feels like it's maybe not worth it what, what's hilarious about Empyrean is the idea of that six blue because also we didn't even talk about anti-mass but it's like it does come up empty asteroid fields are empty systems there's frontier tokens in there it's very common where you're just like listen they're close enough I might as well go for them I might as well have them or all of that bonus movement isn't useful if I'm spending half that movement going around an asteroid field and I could just get anti-mass and go through it so yeah that's why you really do just end up with six blue tech or whatever Yeah, six like every blue tech is what you end up having in your in your arsenal and nothing else because that is what you need to do what you do best basically and everything else is going off book right oh i could i could get predictive i could get like dread two and and plasma scoring to have better bombardment but like you hear how all those things feel like i don't know i'm trying to squeeze this in to try and like forcibly justify it but it's just like none of it none of it really tracks all of it th- and there's not really any other tricks that you can do with other techs like some other factions right. can get away with there's there's not a trick to it our tricks are all of the movement we can get access to
1: yeah um green tech i got nothing for you i'm sorry red tech i'm really i'm really sorry i don't know i just don't i don't i don't feel like there is really any justification there uh self-assembly routines oh we can get our watchers out uh cheaper i don't know if this is gonna be a game where watchers are important bud you yeah, know what i mean like right. i'm not gonna research self-assembly routines only to find out that there didn't end up being any action cards that i needed to cancel you know what i mean like and also i can just build them yeah and also i have money and also i have a production problem so i may as well build <laughs> max yeah you know what i mean like this this is all kind of stacking on top of each other to right. make Imperium maybe the most logical blue only faction like yes. even more so than like ghosts yeah right because we don't need what's the thing that you know every faction would just be a blue faction if they didn't have any unit upgrades they needed to get yes. and aether stream replaces unit upgrades right but right. that's why they're blue only yeah. really yeah so i mean it's hard to it's hard to talk about anything that's relevant or outside of the norm for empyrean except for warsun <laughs> is a great Sun's faction <laughs> uh and if you get them and i'm not saying you should get any of the tech i'm not saying you should get i mean predictive we talked about predictive for two seconds uh i i don't think you should get any tech that would qualify you for Suns, yeah. but you kind of have the best economy for it yeah and what was i t- what was i just saying about production capacity we'd love to throw you know 10 bones down on one unit you know what i mean <laughs> and just be like all right finally we were actually spending this money on some plastic uh, we also have a commander that allows us to possibly build and then lift the token if we're in that kind of like horrifying yeah. collusion level of yeah. Twilight Imperium. Uh, I feel like Fires of the Gashly has got your name written all over it. Hey, Muat, what's going on? Where are you going later? Who yeah. are you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, if you get Ma Worlds. Well, I'm already gonna get lightwave anyway. Right, like, exactly. Why not just throw <laughs> war suns in there? How about uh, a how about a war sun that can move
0: five through other people's stuff? What do you say? Yeah. How about that? Or I guess it's four in this case. Gravity drive plus aether stream, but still, like four movement war. That's good. Like, that's the best war sun, in the...
1: that's among the best war suns in the game. Uh, yeah, on tap. Uh, I've played Empyrean war suns like i don't like more than twice yeah that's a lot that's a lot i'm not a war sons guy i don't yeah. get i don't get stuff if i don't think i'm going to use it um and so what that means is on you know all those different occasions i was like huh i could get war sons. <laughs> and then i did so it doesn't seem that weird to me but yeah i mean it's obviously not going to come into your life uh without there being a little bit of work and a little bit of luck yeah but if it happens then that's cool right do it
0: Go it's, for it. It's definitely the best of worlds argument, because like you said, light waves right there in front of you. I in my head, I wanted to come up with a rationale for like, I mean, you could do assault cannon. But honestly, again, if we're doing the sling relay p- plan, it's it's like a dread, not huge swarms. And we're not collecting those swarms too much. We've gums right. Our stuff is in many places, not you know, fleets of three or higher for assault cannon to pop off. And then the other argument I've seen is duranium, cause the flagship, but like right. like we said at the top, we are not leaning hard into that flagship anymore. Yes, that's cool. But again, to all of this, if it's a late maw, if it's like a round four maw, sure. Maybe Duranium, cause you've already got the hu- flagship at home and that's just like a little boost and you didn't need anything else, right? That's when I can see Duranium. But if it's round three or even like it, whatever war suns all the way because you're probably gonna you can afford it in the round that it might be relevant
1: yeah yeah i think uh yeah i think they're really straightforward i don't know i don't know how many different ways i could say like (laughs) imperium not not that complicated i think you can do it i I just want to be your cheerleader in this one and just be like listen everybody if you're listening to this and 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 you ain't played imperium yet you're gonna you're gonna have a good time you're gonna do great i believe in you you got this (laughs) you're gonna win your game buddy I know you are. We, I mean, we've already talked about almost
0: all of the notes I see about trading. Would you like to to go over some of these points or reaccentuate some ideas here? Because uh, we've talked, we talked at length about blood pact and dark pact. Like, yeah, how, how are you feeling true. about trading?
1: Well, I guess the only thing I'll mention, we've already, yeah, it, it, we have kind of already talked about everything um, as far as the 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 trade stuff we could do. Um, aether stream, aether passage. These are th- these are sellable things, yeah. but I I feel like you're trying a little too hard if you are trying to sell it. Yeah. Um. But it's one of those annoying components where it's like you really gotta like keep your head on a swivel yes. about it and see where the opportunity is mm-hmm. because there are situations where like someone is only going to be able to score a point if you give them aether stream slash aether passage. Yeah. And that is a really good opportunity to make some money okay and you can never have enough money that's a that's true in twilight imperium as it is in life (laughs) welcome (laughs) welcome to capitalism everybody we're trying to make money and keep it okay that's the goal um that was gross i didn't (laughs) hear myself say that uh the alliance is weird to sell i'll say this because i feel like Anytime someone wants the alliance from me, mm-hmm. I'm always like, man, you are doing good, huh? Like, I, yeah, because I yeah. feel like the alliance is this sort of like, oh, yeah, if I had Empyrean's alliance, I could actually like make use of it. Yeah. Um, cause I don't really think of it in the, we, we outlined earlier the like, oh, there's the cooperative wind slay element mm-hmm. of, uh, Empyrean's commander, but there's also just like someone being like, yeah, I almost got this locked up. Anyways, if I had the Empyrean alliance, then when somebody tries to take my home system, it's gonna be tough. Yeah. Um, so I would say, if somebody wants it, I might not sell it. Yeah. If they don't want it, I would sell it. That doesn't make sense, <laughs> but that's how I feel about it. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. Um, what are we going to try and buy? Like, sure. that's actually even more interesting because at this point, we have lots of money, sellables... and what are we doing with our low fleet yeah. capa- or our low production capacity? This money's got to go somewhere. Well, I think that, you know, a lot of it's going to go to tokens and plastic, right? Especially because we're like kind of shrimpy, if not for our economy. So, yeah. like, we need to shore up, yeah, right? Right. Uh, other things that we can pick up are get your fragments turned into relics we are actually a faction that doesn't have a need to pawn off our relic fragments and in fact we'd love to have some relics in front of us i would say we're kind of we're. i mean we are second to nas as far as like having a little bit of a fragment advantage i'm only saying that because there's two wild fragments in the frontier deck there are two of them and we're good at getting stuff out of there so Definitely turn your fragments into relics. Uh, if anything, maybe even if you get lucky on your explorers, buy up even more fragments. You got the money for it. Just yep. go for it, bud. Right. Get as much luck out there as possible. We'd love to have... so. There's so many of the relics that actually work great for us and just kind of compound our economic advantage yeah. in a way that, you know, if I'm Sardak and I get Dynamis Core, I'm just going to be like, "Yeah, okay, I'm going to make <laughs> a little more money. But as Empyrean, I'm like, no, every little bit of my economic engine yeah. counts and makes me even more aggressive and even more able to to commit to all of the other things that i that i do that all just kind of feed into this making it's like i invest in myself and just make more and more money is yeah. how uh empyrean feels um but yeah uh as far as like things we want to buy i don't know we we're not really that excited about any particular commanders like our kit kind of covers it all mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. we're not a p we're, n- we're never really a pds faction so none of, the, none of the pds commanders are interesting for us yep um there's like we could buy like the titans commander or like even the muat commander maybe and be like okay we're gonna make a little extra money here that sounds kind of try hard to me yeah. i wouldn't worry about it i right. i would say we're either coming to market for fragments or for something big like fires of the gash lie um maybe trade convoys from hakan something like that nomad alliance could you'd spend six bucks on it like you're just saving two bucks
0: on your flagship or whatever i guess so like whatever i mean
1: it's not a bad flagship so i mean it's 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 fair to do if nomad is interested yeah um i think that you know in a situation where nomad is my blood pact partner Mm -hmm. i think i could see that going down eventually but most of the time, I would say Nomad's probably not even going to give you that. But I, I've been playing a lot of Nomad lately as research for the eventual episode, and I can't decide who I'm going to give anything yeah. to. So I'll <laughs> tell you that. Yeah, I, I,
0: I think, too, some of my thinking, and maybe you can a- agree or disagree with this, is honestly, how much are you, like, you have a comfortable token economy, and how much are you sort of, like, overspending on more tokens to, like, do more secondaries than a normal faction like do you like taking do you like doing the secondary of politics more than your average bear because like your token economy is is healthy enough or d- does it go that far for you
1: yeah it absolutely does go that far yeah. um if if i have enough momentum uh economically yeah that's when i start saying like all right let's get some action cards yeah. you know uh because of the mechs if you do pick up a solid action card you 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 can sort of defend it yeah. you can sort of be like all right i'm gonna get this mech over here they try and sabotage it right i will use the mech and bam suddenly uh you take an action card strategy which to me is always a little bit shaky right yeah, because right. we don't know what's going to happen in response to it yep. and you can kind of lock it down a little more so right. that yeah that's absolutely something that is in the wheelhouse following construction just based off the possibility that maybe a structure objective will come out i feel like is something that i'm constantly doing Mm -hmm. uh, as empyrean you really do need to look at it like i'm gonna just kind of keep investing in my own engine and it's not necessarily about like all right let's just roll the dice on hoping that this pays off it's like no we can kind of like invest a little bit in everything and just kind of see how things play out yeah
0: here's a question then because this is something we didn't cover in tech is we said six blue But sometimes two and two comes out, right? Two tech and two colors is a point sometimes. Yep. Do you have a preferred Is there an optimal version of that? Is it is it blue-yellow because you said you like predictive, or is there. Definitely blue-yellow, okay. yeah.
1: It's scanlink and uh, predictive, okay. I would say. Yeah, because scanlink does uh, at least
0: do a little bit more of the, the relic digging, essentially. Relic Absolutely, relic yeah. Digging.
1: yeah. Yeah. And and it just, you, you get money back on top of it. I mean, I'll tell you what's worse, to be honest, is probably unit upgrades. Like, because literally yeah. now we have to get unit upgrades. And what if we already researched Aether Passage and then it comes out and we're like, yeah. all right, so. Or, sorry, Aether Stream, I should say. We researched that, and then we're like, oh, well, now we just have to get unit upgrades on top of it. And it's like, yeah, cool. Everything can move, like, three. I don't need to move three that often. And how much tech
0: do you have to go out of your way? Like, once you're deep blue, you need, like a yellow for dreads, a green for yeah. fighter two, and then you can yeah. get carrier two. It's like, it's it's a lot of tech. You, you better you gotta find skip in that skips. Situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, better, you better find a lot of skips. Um, I mean, at that point, I don't know, is AI dev a, a thing? Not really because none of the other red tech is is worthwhile I guess. I guess just go farming no. for skips. Go find a skip and make it happen that way for unit upgrades.
1: AI dev isn't horrible if you want to throw in a destroyer two. That's kind of like the only ship I wish I had in a lot of Empyrean yeah. games. But like, I don't know. It it depends on who you're going up against. And mm-hmm. I feel like Destroyer Two can like can be it and can really like help to, you know, adjust your, your strategy, but like a lot of the time, just being able to get your carriers and, dist- and dreadnoughts where they need to go is also going to work out just fine. Yeah, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. So mid game, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, positioning. You, you you even said earlier you pulled some of your positioning uh, points into earlier. But yeah, describe to me what it looks like in our mid game once we like have a healthy gum. Like, what are is our gum just sitting there all game long? Or is there a point at which we we like always collapse it or is it like no no no? it stays gum it depends yeah okay
1: yeah i mean i think i i think that there is a time if you're winning as Empyrean that you're going to need to pull it back just for the hp Mm -hmm. but for the most part yeah i want to leave it out there because if somebody's like oh this this destroyer is my way i can just be like no you can just go through it like don't worry about Mm -hmm. it and sometimes i just let people go through it for free because if they're annoyed my by my presence yeah i'd rather just have the ship there you know right so as long as we can keep it keep it there I'll be like, yeah, whatever, just go through. If you need to get to somewhere, if you're, even if they're trying to go to Mechatol Rex, sometimes I'll just let them through because it's like, I'd rather, I would rather keep my ships banned yep. out for the final round, you know, because the final round is where it actually might matter that they are there. And we won't know that until the stage two flips. You yep. know what I mean? Like, you kind of play, I mean, what? The best objectives for Empyrean for their strategy is, of course, the anomalies one. And then there's like, the empty spaces one because that's like sort of already what we're doing yeah so you i would say you kind of play from the onset being like all right we're going to try and lock that down if that's a possibility yeah um and then secondly would be like economic objectives right, right? so like hopefully you get to that first stage two with like roughly half of the deck being like decent for you yeah um which is i think why they're so strong to be honest they're not really super dependent on bonus points because the stage two path right. is almost always gonna work out uh for them. Yeah. Uh as a and you know, so then all that really matters is like speaker position. Right. Um but yeah, I mean I I think I think Empyrean is one of those factions that's like really good in a vacuum. So like I would encourage, you know, if you're listening to this and being like, oh yeah, yeah, Empyrean is pretty good. How come they don't win every single time? Yeah. Well, I mean, what happens is that The other players can push against this strategy pretty effectively. And when they do, it's kind of not great for Empyrean. Like, Empyrean doesn't take the heat so well. That's why they have so many diplomatic-based abilities. That's why they have two promissory fraction notes, is because they're supposed to be, you know, hey, let's all be friends until round four. And then conveniently, I don't want to be friends anymore, is kind of, I would say, what the the strategy is. Yeah, it, it actually makes sense, especially if you're a faction who doesn't
0: need your if you are another buoyant faction maybe it's not actually worth playing ball. I mean someone's gonna play ball with Empyrean but yeah I mean there is an argument for if it's coming cheaply picking off the little pieces of Empyrean gum here and there even if like to Hunter's point Hunter's sitting there saying no you can just move through for free because I want this so bad another player who's vying for that top spot might look at that and be like you know what actually just gonna kill that destroyer because i think it'll set you back more than it'll set me back maybe i don't know i mean it costs them a token but it's it's that's why it's tough right is it's it's similar to the hakan problem of like well who's gonna take the stand right and and you will be the only one taking the stand and everyone else will get richer than you suddenly uh something we've been doing recently is talking about agendas that are at least relevant maybe not wildly impactful but notable interactions uh to keep an eye out for in the agenda phase uh so what are what are we what are, what's notable for us
1: well of course we always have to talk about rearmament agreement uh-huh. uh if that goes against we don't like it uh, we don't want to lose our mechs and we we don't want to lose our mech abilities which yeah. is that other agenda which i don't remember what it's called off the top of my head um economic equality is of course always bad for us we are a rich faction we yeah. we know like that yeah i think shared research uh going for which is players can move through nebula is annoying because we're the special that's nebula my thing.
2: people. that's, that's
1: <laughs> what it is um and then representative government we're not in favor of representative government we're we're one of the rich ones we don't want all the government to be yeah. one vote be cool. for for everybody we'd rather we would rather actually win a little bit what in the are the agenda all these phase.
0: lobbyists for then if yeah. everybody gets one vote that's not yeah. how this works in a capitalist society let's talk about the no. late game Uh, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, I guess the last thing we said was stage twos are actually good. It's wild that you are in part a custodian faction and a great stage two faction. Like you can do both. You, you can literally, you can just not get a support for the throne in this game and still win with
1: enough bonus points and everything. Like you, you, you can just find any pathway to the victory. It sounds like. Yeah, Empyrean is is again. It's it's you're like Nasroka, but the ceiling isn't quite as high. Nasroka it can just like swing out of control. Right, it could just get nuts. Right, the kid is a little more complicated. I feel like with Nasroka, um, and so it, it to me it's like they rival each other, but I think Nasroka kind of wins out because if all the players are like really good, then mm-hmm. I think Nasroka over a longer period of time will have higher performance. Yeah. Um, Empyrean is like I would say a more graspable uh, Nasroka. Um, I do love our kit in the late game, the mech, the commander, uh, even the flagship. I think we've we've appropriately not talked about the flagship that much and that we can now bring it up again as being (laughs) like something that can help defend your home system, uh, especially with that low production capacity at home. You plop the flagship down to say, all right, I'm spending the rest of my money on uh at least something that hits two on a five so yeah. there you go right yeah no economic objectives came out you're sitting
0: pretty on all your cash in round four yeah you yep. might as well put the dynamo there you might as well you have not you have no other way to use up that production capacity and cash at the same time so you might as well just plop it down um, right. or even in round five like literally the whole point of it is in round five like you can plop it there, have activated your home system, and if anybody cares to do something about it, they will deactivate your home system in the process. So it's like it can be a fully last minute decision to just drop the dynamo out there with with your la- final round cash.
1: Right. Um yeah, nebula defense. I mean, it's like it's 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 a great situation to just make it to the late game and be in the running yeah. as Empyrean. Um I would say if you're gonna stop Empyrean, you need to stop them mid-game which is always kind of a weird time to do it diplomatically. Yep. Um. So I'm not even sure. That's why it doesn't happen a lot, y'all, right. is that it doesn't really make sense to be like, I'm just going to play mean on this one faction? Yeah. And they're we're not even really at the point yet where I know for sure that they're the one.
2: That's <laughs> yeah, the exactly. issue. You know what I
1: mean? It's like, right. I'm not even sure you're the one I need to stop. And that's when you need to stop Imperium. Yeah. Um, right. Oh so yeah, and I mean, for Imperium players, just work all of your economic uh tools. Yep in order to make it so that if somebody is going to try and stop you in the mid-game, it's going to cost them a lot and they're not going to be very popular, you know?
0: And especially, I mean, we talked about some goofy ways you can help lead a Winslay parade, but, like, literally Aether Stream is also just a passive way to lead a Winslay parade, you know what I mean? Like, if if the systems are in the right spot, you can just give anybody who wants to do something about it a free plus-one movement to go deal with that. So it's another reason why you're great at being... In the pack like third or even fourth in the pack because it's like listen you probably have the tools to help stop first and second in the pack or whatever right like people can go snipe systems that need to be sniped generally speaking all of that's positionally you know suspect or whatever but it's you know you have tools to not only make money through the mid game but lead charges that you need if you have to you can either hole up or you can go striking out and like both are viable and that's why i feel like the other reason this thing works is is uh, the kit in the late game is wildly versatile to what your speaker position and and relevance in scoring order is uh, in that final round
1: yeah yeah absolutely but uh well i don't know that's it good job (laughs) job, everybody Good job, everybody. Pack uh, it up. We did this one. This, I mean, on a, it would have been weird had we just been like, you know what? We actually just don't need to do an Empyrean episode. <laughs> I'll just say that that would have been like kind of weird to do. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sorry if this was too much restating. The ideas did not change, and that's you know what? It's seven factions, and thus far we've done over half of them. Yeah. I think, what what we got Titans left. We got Cabal left. We got Nomad left. That's right. That's it. Uh, and thus far, most factions, it was. It felt good revisiting them. Yeah, yeah. Empyrean, it just kind of feels like, all right, well, it's just kind yeah, of a wash. Y'all. Right. I mean, sometimes we do get it the first time. It doesn't <laughs> happen a lot. Clearly, it doesn't happen a lot. Every but once sometimes in a we while. do. Yeah. And I think we did, we did do that last time. So I feel good about our original ep- episode. Um, if you got all the way to the end of this, maybe you should listen to that original episode, actually. Wouldn't it be funny... To, for you to even as the listener do a little bit of detective work and be like how similar was this and then you'll find that it it, it probably was exactly the same so there you go <laughs> I want to thank
0: all our weird bears Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamishimu, Pope Billy Second, Brassbird, Cabal Kalu, and Kaluan, Daryl, Jadim, Jedi, Carnal, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord, Raddington and Leshevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky M44 and R-Wise and I want to thank our teensy sprouts Baldrick, Kraken, Frank G, General Pith, Hercules. My Son is Also Named Bort, Uncle Baddy, Savant, The Wild One and Vince, Hunter, I have a wonderful homebrew review for you today oh yeah this one is brought to us by relic stan uh and i'm i'm saying we're talking about gyroscopic gamma cannons today this is actually something we're doing now in the homebrew review just if, if people want to come and hang out in the homebrewers guild uh which is a uh ten dollars a month on our patreon uh the second tier of our patreon is the homebrewers guild what we've come to realize is people are not making little things, right? People don't make little yeah. homebrew. Uh, but so we're trying to do, people can present a little piece of their big homebrew and let that be a teaser for people to then want to go check things out. There's a whole discord called the the homebrew hub run by Phil Roy and people are sharing all sorts of ideas and we're starting to get more stuff from there. So this is a whole faction that we're not going to cover in full because that would be like an entire episode to try and do. Right. But we're going to just cover some of the ideas in the faction and talk about what we like and don't, uh, you know, what what we, what we, how we feel about it. So, uh, the architects of Turim from Relic Stand have a special PDS unit. And that's what we're talking about today. A new kind of PDS. Uh, the gyroscopic gamma cannon. This unit may be placed in the space area. This unit can be transported. If this Ooh. unit is ever blockaded, it is destroyed. Mm. When you gain control of a planet in this system, you may place this unit on a planet. It has no move it has space cannon six. It has bombardment six, and it has planetary shield. So these are mobile ah. PDS. You take them with you. They hang out with your ground forces. They go to. So I like it. They're not like titans. They're not. Uh, they're not ground combating, Right. They're just. They're still just PDS. And right. that. Uh, that blockade destroys them is like a huge deal. Also, meaning like. To me it feels like yeah, move them around a lot because people are just going to come very easily snipe them. All they have to do is just end up above them basically right. and they're dead. So you're just like constantly jumping them around to different places.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I, <laughs> I love the idea of that. I I love the the art that I picture for that is uh, is really interesting. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Uh
0: Great I want to follow up. Span. I want to follow up with their upgrade, uh, of course. They have a PDS 2. What does the upgrade do? This unit can move and retreat as if it was a ship it has movement Uh-oh. one there we go now it got really cool you took
1: it away <laughs> now, now it's just crazy now it goes now everywhere <laughs>
0: Wow! space okay, cannon five well, bombardment five it's also got the deep space cannon not only does it have deep space cannon it has deep space bombardment this can use bombardment in adjacent systems
1: uh so now it's really a okay. target on the board that other people want All to take it right. how do you Relic feel about span. that hunter ah, that's you're getting kind of out there aren't you <laughs> you're kind of listen that's a little bit you're kind of gripping it and ripping it a little bit <laughs> there bud
0: yeah this whole faction is based around these things basically i won't go into everything but i will say the flagship uh, gives additional roles to every PDS for all roles. So for for it's you know it's it's an extra space cannon and an extra bombardment or whatever. I mean that's just that's plasma scoring or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's it's it seems like a fun thing. I have no idea if it's effective or not because you're still you don't build PDS. It looks like you know you you just and unless that's just a fact that Relic Stain's not including here. But it's like you still have to use construction to get these things on the board in the first place. Right. Yeah, and then fair. they die super easy. So I don't know that this is like. A wildly relevant ability when they're so easy to snipe i don't know i mean but
1: snipe i mean who's i don't what who's sniping anything like no one's sniping stuff matt well but i just i mean i don't mean i mean you don't even have to go for the planet though right you just park above it and it dies just yeah, but dies. it has like ships with it. It's, it's, no one's, You're not going to sure. just leave them empty, right?
0: Hopefully not. I don't know. Depends.
1: Depends. Matt would. That's Matt what you're saying. You're well, like, yeah. I'd
0: leave them empty. I know. I, just leave I them completely I know. empty. <laughs> I, somehow, yeah. I just never have
1: plastic when everybody else does. You're just like, to... I'm never building ships. I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it.
2: I spend I like every you spend, dollar.
1: I spend every I think you dollar. Just spend your dollars on nothing. <laughs> I think that's what happens. I think you just flip stuff and then you don't build units. You know I, what? I I've legitimately thought that so many times. The new phase. of... Of of my uh, Ti,
0: you know, like playing is, uh, you know, I always have a, an async game active now. Like that, I've, I've, that's a thing. Is as soon as I finish one, I start the next one just to have have one in the in the hopper. But what I will note about my experience in async now is I definitely make way way more mistakes because. I, you know, a round lasts way longer, so I don't usually have the whole round in my head as well, you know, as a grassable single construct this round, which means like I've had multiple async games and, and rounds within them where it's like, uh oh. I didn't spend all my planets. I just didn't spend all of them. I like I I, right. I messed up. I, I did the secondary a Diplo at the wrong time and didn't think about the context of the whole round. And now I've refreshed two planets that I cannot use or whatever. That's happened on multiple occasions for me. So that's the difficulty of playing async is like remembering what your whole round's economy looks like and what you need to do with it. Because you have to remember that for like
1: a week or two, basically. Right, and that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> That is hard. And that's why I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Is I's just like I don't like having to remember stuff. Yeah. I just want to play it and get it done. I need a better I need
0: to maybe do a better job of like in your you have like private channels and I just need to like message myself like here's your notes. Like here's your so you can check here's back later. Here's what you're doing yeah. this round. That's what I that's what I need. Uh hey, let's do a quick agenda face. This one is from Phi Smith, uh at PHI Phi Smith asks if you had to run a tournament For literally any board game other than Root or Twilight Imperium, what game would it be? I'm also going to include uh, Spirit Island is off the, like anything we've covered, we're not doing a tournament of. So what other games would we run a tournament of?
1: I mean, I do think that Twilight Struggle is like a really cool game. Yeah, And I think it would be fun to watch people do it because it's like it's so locked in to like mm-hmm. alright, here's how it It always starts the same way, uh, and there, there's a little bit of RNG, but I kind of like the almost chess-like all right what's your opening yeah kind yeah, of uh, aspect to, to twilight struggle and also it just you know it's a classic game it's been around for a long time yeah um it would be fun to just decide like all right we're just all gonna pick up twilight struggle for a little bit <laughs> it's also funny because it has the word twilight in it you know <laughs> and that's our word yeah, we love that that's our word. word around twilight
2: here. inscription
0: twilight struggle twilight imperium
1: uh
2: that's a, a good answer uh
0: and a real answer I have a dumb one for you if you want to hear it. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Well, I'm glad I went first. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm I, I glad am I too. went first. Uh, what do you think about a one night ultimate werewolf tournament where like rounds? Like let I don't know. Let's say let's say it's like an 8 per- people round? And when you play, you have to do, like, it's like a best three of five kind of thing. Or, like, you play, you play like, ten sessions, and the, you, you keep track of who wins each session. And then at the end, like, the way you progress in a round is by having the most total wins from a number of sessions, right? So it's consistency. You can't just win a single game of one night, Werewolf, and that mean anything, right? Of course that's absurd. But, like, what if it was this sort of, like huge numbers you play a bunch of three-minute games a one-night ultimate werewolf and whoever gets the most wins for their team and like a tanner win is worth two right Uh, or or like you give point values to different types of wins that's what i'm thinking that's the tournament i want to run
1: that's disgusting (laughs) um and i hate that you would disrespect one of my favorite games by suggesting that it needs to be like some sort of competitive tournament thing it's supposed to be a fun game now here's what horrible thought you made me have what if What if one night ultimate werewolf had betting in it like poker where you say something and then you bet on like if 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 that's true or not. I'm sure know?
0: that versions of that exist, like as social deductions games, but now I really do want to like design that. I wanna design not only the I'm trying to win for my thing, but what I'm trying to win is where I've placed my bets at this point. So it's not even that I'm committed to my werewolf faction winning. It's that, well, I can see my goose is cooked, so I better bet big on the town or whatever. That's hilarious. Yeah, uh, please tell us if that game exists, somebody. I want the social deduction betting game, and uh, let me let me. Know. I mean, a little bit of that is Sheriff of Nottingham, but that doesn't quite nah, pan out. Not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I want. I want. I want a game where I th- I tell a lie and then I bet big. Yeah. And, and that <laughs> I back up my lie with my bet. Yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely. all I want to do. Yeah. I want. But your wanna, bet,
0: your bet is public, so people see you place yeah, the yeah, bet, yeah. and then that's you have what, to <laughs> see. There we go. That's you just bet, a game. You, you just said a thing, then you put so much money on the table yeah what yeah. is that and how does that feed into the
1: lie <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny and then when somebody says something you can bet on them being telling the truth <laughs> like you could say like somebody you'll be like i'm a villager and you're like you know what that's right i bet 50 on that yeah <laughs> that's what i want this is, I just this want is like a group of betting. friends with a gambling problem where they're like i bet i bet mike can't drink a gallon of milk and you just find horrible ways to put money on the table for Yeah, hey, man thing. i i i've been hanging out well i've been meeting a lot of stand-up comedians in new york uh huh. and a lot of these guys like sports which is <laughs> you know very <laughs> obnoxious for me but uh they all like betting on sports yeah that's kind and of man, a thing let me tell you something all right let's actually meet me in the dugout everybody so i just want to say real quick that while on this show we really it's a pretty nerdy thing that we like and i know, i realize a lot of people that listen to the show probably like sports too or whatever it's fine i mean sports are fine and i hate you know what what is this like the, an 80s movie or something i'm like talking about sports like this but <laughs> let me tell you when you listen to a guy start like who would never play Twilight Imperium? Who yep. would never? Who's like, oh, board games? That's like way too nerdy for I me. Know. I know and then they start br- they start breaking down the specifics yep. of their sports bets. Yep. You start realizing, like, you know what, Twilight Imperium. It's kind of a state of mind. It's yeah. not even really just a game. <laughs> there are a lot of people out there playing Twilight Imperium, and they have no idea. They yeah. are deep in the Twilight Imperium matrix. Right. And then I say, oh, I have a podcast about Twilight Imperium. And they're like, oh, you're so weird. Yeah. And then they start being like, I'm betting the over on the... Yeah. On, <laughs> I'm betting that so-and-so will win by five points and not 10. Yeah. If they win by 10, I lose all my money. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, we're all just math perverts yeah. out here, all <laughs> exactly. right? Every one of us, we're just a bunch of weird math perverts, yeah. and you know, you express it in the way that you do all right and it's cool man whatever however you gotta do that you do that uh but you know don't look at somebody else's thing and be like oh that's weird because like listen you're all weirdos out there i've talked to everybody you're all weirdos i sit on this podcast and we just sort of
0: flippantly say things like laszak's gate folding and the dynamo and and it's like those terms sort of wash over some people but you know what so does well jerry's getting traded to the wings and that's gonna cause an over on this and then you know well and their first you know what, First in the draft this year, and that's going to be huge. And it's like all of that stuff is. Hey, lo- I I love Euphora. We have two very wonderful friends, uh, EJ and Son Sanders, which are not related, but the Sanders boys love them some hockey. And they I- do. I've for for months now. I've been in a hockey DM with uh, some beautiful people. Pope Bill is in there. A. Libby is in there. Uh, uh, Nine of spades, Viking Bill, M. Duval, Deep Thought. Everybody, we've been doing, and is what it is and uh i gotta tell y'all i love you i muted that channel about a week ago because i couldn't do it anymore that it's playoff season and they've been just messaging like wild i will turn on my phone and it'll be like 450 new messages and it's all just like i don't know uh, the the colorado avalanche captain gabriel landisog will undergo a cartilage transplant in his right knee on may 10th okay cool glad i know that about that person now
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you this much man, uh just a, just to talk more about sports nerds versus us and what we do. Yeah. Uh I feel like I never bother people with Twilight Imperium stuff. If Twilight Imperium comes up, I'm like, listen, don't worry about it. I'm not trying to talk to you about this. Like, you don't need to... I mean, unless you really want to know about it, I'm not going to... Yeah. yeah. But these sports nerds Uh out here, they just feel so confident to tell me about all their dweeby sports stuff all the time. And man, I got to tell you, like, it's just wild. It's wild the boldness of Subwood to outright reject the idea of a number pervert board game with cardboard and plastic (laughs) and then just get so invested, you know, in the ball logic, you know, deep in the ball numbers can i give you the flip side of that too to to go
0: out on (laughs) absolutely uh, you know i i have this little i have this little sort of anger problem right that i'm always trying to be better about and work on uh you can imagine how that manifests i don't know maybe you've been at my house when my dad's yelling about a basketball game but it's not it doesn't look any different except for my dad's not playing the basketball
1: game so explain that (laughs) yeah yeah your dad is yelling and getting as mad as you would get when you're invested in yeah. something my home system and gets taken and my dad is like
0: ah, they scored one point on us and there's four minutes left
1: or yeah Yeah. Wow. It's so funny how little we know about like we every time it's been our turn to do like to (laughs) To do a joke (laughs) by like having a sports thing. We are not prepared. That's how little we know about sports. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's like I don't even know enough to use the terminology effectively enough to make fun of it. So I will apologize to the sports freaks out there. But I am trying to get to know y'all more. Um, A lot of the newer people I'm meeting in New York City. Uh, are are sports weirdos? So hopefully yeah. I will assimilate finally into into your group. Yeah. What's what's going to um, be your don't sport? Know.
0: What's what's what I sport just, will you I attach yourself to? Are we both going to be you a know, Seattle Kraken fan? Should we do that? Should we, you and I, I, I just
1: commit, dude? I like baseball because it's dumb, and it just kind of <laughs> seems like everyone's just sort of hanging out. Yeah. And like yeah. I think I need a you know what the thing about hockey and soccer. Uh, is the rules aren't like goofy enough for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. the rules are just kind of like it's like it's a little more it's kind of an action game you uh-huh, know what i mean uh-huh. and i want a strategy game like well, the way that baseball has that dealt deck building mechanic yeah built sure. into it where if you knew the players like knowing like the logic of like the list of yeah. it or whatever if that's even something you can divine yeah i think that's cool i like how there's a lot of stats in baseball right. it makes them seem like pokemon you know
0: <laughs> I, I like that I'll, I'll sing a praise for hockey hockey you're right about all those facts what i would say hockey is like is hockey is penalties are a resource right? In other games yeah, penalties are true. you do the bad thing. In hockey it's like no we fight and stuff and like I'll it's slap you of, with a stick if the moment yeah. is right and if I just think it needs to cost me two minutes it'll cost me two minutes. Sorry bud. I'm always yeah. it, and it's the, the idea of hockey is look at these grown adults act like petulant children at oh each God, other. They're so childish. They're so yeah. childish, it's hilarious. Uh and yeah, that's that's the main reason I like watching hockey is it's a bunch of children trying to get away with something.
1: <laughs> it does kind of seem like at some point the coach is like, "All right, kill him." You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just like, "Go after that guy now." You know, it doesn't seem like always that oh, this is just organically happening. Yeah. It's like, "No, I think they I think that's a hit right there, you know?" <laughs>
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to your prelims report for the past, I don't know, some amount of games. The end is in sight, uh, and I'm going to be spacing out the remaining games over a few weeks. Also, uh, I didn't say it in the episode. Rate us on podcast apps. Send us stories at SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles at gmail.com. You know, all that normal stuff. But let's get on to Game 25, written by Moon, the first half streamer, and Rand from TI's Drunkies, the second half streamer. That's right. This is a game that... Uh, changed streamer midway through. Round one, first two objectives were control four of the same trait and spend eight resources. Diplomacy was not picked, so only two factions scored Hakon and Empyrean. Empyrean in particular had an awesome round one with some really nice frontier explorers. The third objective is revealed to be three structures outside of home. Round two, every faction scores a public objective except Hakan. Fourth objective is make history, agenda is uneventful. Round three, everyone scores in round three. Cabal picks Imperial and managed to score twice and get an Imperial point. Fifth objective revealed is three command tokens. Hakan is elected for political censure, which is the victory. Point, but can't play action cards in the agenda phase. And after the agenda phase, Moon took their leave. The first three rounds of the game were extremely chill. I'm not exaggerating when I say there wasn't a single space combat for the first three rounds. Enter Rand, round four. Ember sparks a crazy full table negotiation for Speaker Token, offering to sell it to the highest bidder. Speaker Token almost goes somewhere that leaves them at fifth pick, but they end up giving it to their right after Hakan contributes to the deal to avoid getting stuck with last pick. The first combat of the game occurs when Empyrean goes for the Ember member's home system, winning the space but losing the ground. Round 5, it looks like it's Cabal's win until they struggle to score Become a Martyr for a second time via taking other players' home systems. Hakan has the win on lock at strategy card 5 and passes early after reinforcing home. Ventak draws Shard and suddenly is in the running to win at strategy card two, but their flank speed is sabotaged, and what the table believed was potential to score a secret was gone with it. Empyrean scored Brave the Void when taking the airspace uh, at home back from the Cabal, putting them at nine. The table knows their last secret objective is turn their fleets to dust based on an early attempt to score it. Now Cabal destroys their mechs in a bunch of suicide missions, getting them the trade goods to win with strategy card number one. Calaris intervenes at six points on a path to nine and only offers to slay Cabal if Empyrean promises not to score their tenth point via public objective in the status phase. Calaris is holding on to a repeal law that would take Khan’s political censure point away. That would leave multiple players at nine to go on to tiebreaker as opposed to a certain Cabal win. Empyrean agrees to this non-binding deal. In an attempt to slay Cabal per the Gambit, Calaris forgets a lone destroyer in a system near Empyrean's PDS. Empyrean turns their fleet to dust and wins the game, as this was not part of the Gambit, but a new opportunity that arised from an unfortunate derp by Calaris. Congratulations to Middle Bear as Empyrean. A topical win for this episode. Game 26 is brought to us by Jasper. Prelim game number 26 featured a strong set of factions with many of them vying for an early custodian's point. As Saro, with the use of warfare and a copy of Sarr's agent, negotiated with Sarr to score the incredibly difficult corner of the market. Is it just me or does it come out every time, by the way, in exchange for funds that should have helped Sarr afford custodians? Nasroka, however, had bought Speaker from Empyrean and wished to acquire custodians themselves, stalling Sarr out of following technology for Gravity Drive. In their focus on Saar, they forgot to also stall out Jolnar, who swooped in with Gravity Drive Carrier 2 combo to be the first to the prized Mechatol planet. Titans who had benefited from mutually beneficial relations with the fish nerds quite quickly built up a huge force of upgraded Saturn engines that could fly all around the map with light wave deflectors. This would come in handy because Nasroka had drawn Shard of the Throne, and the Titans of Ul rather liked the idea of them having that instead. Titans thoroughly trounced the Nazroka home system defense force, but in doing so left Mekatol to be turned into an impressive clan of Saur stronghold. Seeing the Saur in danger, Titans negotiated a retreat from the Nazroka homeworld, keeping the relic addicts in the hunt for victory. It was one of the nazroka sponsored relics, Nanoforge, that opened up a path for the Nazroka to take Shard back on the legendary planet of Centauri. This normally ordinary planet became the site not just of a successful Nazroka attack, but then a successive... Titans counterattack and unaccessful attempts by both Empyrean and Asaral to sneak off with Shard. Titans kept the legendary Centauri and the Shard, but it was a Pyrrhic victory because the Clan asteroids could not be touched, and from there they struck out to too many other anomalies and legendaries for the table to stop. Congratulations to Mythic Machine. Game 27 is by Big Al. Two attachments and eight resources starts us off. Nobody picks Politics with Cabal as last pick opting for construction instead. A pretty standard round one sees Necro score two attachments, while Titans, Extra, and Cabal score spend eight resources and Calaris and Nalu as first and second pick stay at zero. Next to flop is Make History. Nalu opts to leave Custodians to Calaris, which they score. Cabal on Imperial comes for Mechatol and loses to Calaris in a draw on the ground. Nalu tries to nab Mechatol and draws in space against Cabal. Mechatol is now naked. Titans parks a cruiser over Mechatol, having debt written off to not take a naked Mechatol. A 15-round combat between Necro's three ships versus Nalu's one fighter in Nebula sees all four ships die. That's a lot of draws. Everyone scores, and we see Titans on the three with a secret, and everyone else on two with only Calaris sporting bonus tempo. Round three adds Intimidate Council, and after a normal round start, once some folks pass, the eating begins, mainly with Nalu and Cabal eating some Calaris. Nalu ends the round with a 5-3 Semlor and a 5-3 Lodor, and Extra does not score. Necro edges ahead on 6, Nalu, Cabal, and Titans on 5, Calarins and Extra on 3. Two unit upgrades makes stage one prospects easier, but nobody has a round four line, even with a shard or obsidian lucky draw. Speaker order is effectively punished when Necro snipes Calaris and Nalu snipes Cabal. The board is very entangled, with players starting to feel sad as the game shifts from mid to late game. Round five sees ten trade goods and an impressive winslay process that leads to support losses and then three-way swaps, and a plan to get everyone to nine victory points despite two players having paths to ten victory points, maybe three. Will the spirit of the table that have played hard but chillax hold, or will greed cause a collapse? By end of round, they have all worked together to end on nine victory points going into the agenda. Spirits are high, even Necro and Titans who arguably were done out of the two-horse race. Agendas get quashed like there is no tomorrow, but other than knocking fleets to four, agendas have little impact. Going into tiebreaker, it quickly whittles down to the married Christmas couple, Nalu and Necro, and scoring push boundaries. Tom foolery as Nalu secures the win of the ultimate 55-point game. And I will give an editorial note that technically this is a 54-point game, where the 10th point someone needed to make a 55th point is non-existent because this is a tiebreaker. Eat that. Game 28 is by Drew Minus. Round 1, Outer Rim and Raise a Fleet are the first two publics. A fairly normal trading and dealing, a few people set up for Outer Rim. No one tries to raise a fleet. Empyrean finds Mirage on the wormhole between Soul and Sardak, which also results in the Gamma coming out in the same system. Empyrean, Nasroka, and Asarl all score Outer Rim. Engineer Marvel comes out for objective number 3. Round 2, Soul is the only one who can realistically reach Mechatol early this round and do indeed take it their first action. Sardak gets NRA's alliance and takes Mirage, finding the tomb. Ironically, Empyrean then immediately gets the Crown of Amphidia. The next action Using black market forgeries. Nazruka caches in fragments for Junior, and Sardak tries to extort Empyrean with an uprising. Otherwise, other players just set up to score. Sardak takes Mechatol from Soul using Gamma Mama. Isarol scores a secret, Isarul, Nazruka, Soul, and Sardak, Engineer Marvel, Empyrean scores raise a fleet when you don't score. Push Boundaries is the fourth public. The agenda phase sees three diplo pressures come out on Empyrean. Political censure goes to Asarul, and the Ixthian comes out and explodes. That's an agenda phase, folks. Round 3, Winu ends up with Imperial in a hope to get some points, but Sardak immediately reinforces Mechatol with some infantry. Winu tries to take Mechatol regardless, but loses the ground combat, so they instead set up to double score. Suggestions of support swaps begin to air. Winu support swaps with a Sorrel to stop them from taking their stuff. Winu scores Outer Rim off Imperial. Nasroka and Empyrean support swap, leaving just Sol and Sardak, who swap a bit later. Empyrean tries to take the two of Mephidia, but Soul plays a route, and they are forced to retreat. Nasroka proves endurance, Soul threatens enemies, Empyrean cuts supply lines, Winu and Empyrean engineer Marvelous Sardak gets the Outer Rim, and Nasroka and Asaro push boundaries. The final stage one objective is five trade goods. In our second agenda phase, first up is shared research. It goes against... Second card is Seed and an Empire, Imperial Rider from Winu on against as they're the one player in last, it goes against with some bribery action giving Winu 2 points and Sardak 1, this is the spiciest agenda game ever. Round 4, Nasroka pops Hero to research Gravity Drive as tech, has been unchosen for two rounds, and also gets a Dominus Orb. Imperium scores Spark against the Sarl, and Sardak attacks Winu's forward dock for some nebulous future points. Sardak continues their warpath and takes Primor from Nasroka. Nasroka attacks Mechatol, Sardak plays a parlay, but it gets sabotaged, and Nasroka wins the ground combat, taking the planet. Nasroka, in their next action, pops Imperial, gaining a point, and scores Raise a Fleet. Sardak attacks Nasroka again for four hazardous planets, taking two off them in a very sketchy fight. Lots of scoring resulting in Nasroka on nine, Empyrean at eight, Isarland Windu at seven, Sardak at six, and Sol at five, the stage two... Is spend 16 resources. Nasroka needs their secret to win. Empyrean has the stage to unlock. Asarl needs the stage two and a secret, or a stage one and two secrets. The agenda phase sees Minister of Science come out and go for Winu. Judicial abolishment is next, and the potential for political censure to be revoked. Losing Esaurol point is there, and it happens. Asarl gets their action cards back, but loses their point. Round 5, Empyrean has Speaker and tries to take Imperial. No one can stop them, meaning they will win on their first turn, but Nasroka has a win a combat in an anomaly and manages to sneak a win in the action phase. Congratulations to Mudflaps as Nasroka. And finally for this week is Game 29 by Wecker, and this one is a bit of an essay. A heavyweight match for some of the biggest names in the SCPT community. Round 1 sees make history and populate the Outer Rim, set the tone for a control-heavy game. The table starts, though, before even the first strategy pick, deal-making promises of a space here and an anomaly there, the tone not quick or amiable, but more so utilitarian. Hakan martyrs themselves, somewhat unprompted as the faction to go unscoring in this first round in exchange for half-hearted promises of the custodian's point in the second round. Excha and Asarl get off to a good start, establishing a firm hold on their territory, and generating quite a bit of wealth as well. Asarl particularly finds themselves flush with trade goods. Hakan discovers the plus two plus one attachment on Lodor, now dubbed Big Door. Argent, extra and Titan score make history, Mentak and Asarl score populate the honor room, and Mentak even sneaks out a cheeky Learn the Secrets of the Cosmos. Engineer Marvel is revealed, cementing an extremely board heavy game. Round 2 Hakan takes Mechatol on diplomacy, though having to spend most of their trade goods and remaining plans on the custodian's point as leadership pops first action, leaving the Hakan very poor throughout the rest of the round. The factions continue to fill out their slices whilst maneuvering to make good on the point deals made during the first round. Asarl and Hakan have a deal with their agents to print money, though it seems that Asarl comes out with much more money than Hakan, perhaps due to the mentak thorn in Hakan's side taking its tithe with every deal. And Asarl pops trade to even grander, ludicrous treasure troves. The Crown of Amphidia is discovered by the Asarl tribes on a dead world, and soon after, her tomb is found on Dalbutha in nearby Excha systems. Hakan discovers a wormhole to malice over big door and takes the planet for both the riches and to make history but alas Hakon is made the target of several threats and extortions starting with Mentak, forcing them to trigger a counterstroke from their dipload system and followed with the extra extorting their very legacy on mechatol if hakan does not surrender either big door or malice via their mech ability hakan tearfully liquidates malice to the intimidating tortoises able to still score the point but to never regain control of of the Nexus planet, Hakan and Mentex score make history. Calaris and Extra score populate the outer rim, and Asaril and Titan score engineer a marvel. Extra score is established hegemony, and Asaril scores mechanize the military. The new objective, corner the market, paints a cruel joke upon the table. There will be no escape from the control objectives. The first agenda phase of the council convenes and, as their immediate first action, enact a policy of representative democracy, the extra delegation receiving a diplomatic rider to soothe this blow to their standing. They immediately follow this up with a declaration of political censure. The extra quash this madness, still able to prove their calmer minds need prevail in the bastion of civilization. The topic then turns to the wormholes. A proposal of Nexus sovereignty fails, the Council instead installing a grand wormhole to the Nexus itself in the goal system above Mechatol Rex. Round three, committed to maintaining peace and harmony in the galaxy, the factions begin making deals to accommodate the request to corner the market. Akon sells planets here and there while the other factions trade planets the old-fashioned way, the Calaris taking systems in Mentak space and swapping their central systems with the x to their north. They also take Mechatol, and in a grand display of Imperia, prove to the Custodians yet another point to their favor, scoring Imperial point as well as corner the market. The Asaro make a deal with the Hakan to buy the Titan's terraform machine together, and it is placed on Alioprima, which shall be shared between the two buyers. The Exchar remove the Calera's occupation on Mechatol, establishing a meaningful peacekeeping presence on the Throne World. Hakon and Titans score populate the outer rim, Mentak, Engineer and Marvel, extra and a Score corner of the market, extra scores occupy the seat of the Empire, and Hakon score strengthens bonds. The next objective revealed is a lead from the front. Finally, a little less control. Agendas start with Galactic Crisis Pack, where everyone gains a new secret, followed by covert legislation, which Calaris reveals to be clandestine operations, which passes due to an extra imperial rider on the against. Round four, Excha leads the round with a power play, using Imperial on Mechatarx to score two points off the bat with Engineer and Marvel. Hakon continues their planet deal-making, selling Xanhak to Titans and Kaaldri to Mentak. Isaral takes Dalbutha to reunite Amphidia with her crown. Kolaris decimates the Extra fleet above Quan to prevent the Turtles from seizing one of their home planets with Peace Accords. Extra is primed to get to 9 points by the end of the round and starts looking for an extra point, trying to negotiate a support trade with Asarl who refuses due to their path to 10, instead giving Ceasefire to retain their infidia point. The table begins discussing performing a 3-way support trade to cut Extra out of support, but agree to wait until the agenda phase as Mentak has a relic draw that could put them far ahead of the rest of the group. Hakan takes the terraformed Prima as part of their deal with Asarol and scores Betray a Friend and sets up to score corner of the market. Asarol discovers their new Relic of Dominus Orb. Asarol score make history. Hakon, Mentak, and Asarol score corner of the market. Caleris and extra score lead from the front. Hakon scores Master of the Laws of Physics. Mentak scores Occupy the Fringe. Caleris scores become the Gatekeeper. Titan scores Stake Your Claim. Extra scores Gather a Mighty Fleet and Asarol scores Crown of Amphidia, bringing totals to 2. Hakan was seven, Titans with five, Kalaris with seven, Mentak with five, Isauro with seven, and Excha with nine. The new objective revealed is found a golden age, spends 16 resources. The first agenda, Article of War, passes, and all mechs lose their abilities. Mentak resolves a tech writer, and Isauro resolves a trade writer. The second agenda, Armed Forces Standardization, which is quashed and replaced with Wormhole Research, which is vetoed and replaced with Wormhole Reconstruction, which passes despite an extra sanction. Making Hakan lose one command token and making all Alpha Beta wormholes connected. Hakan and Asarl swap supports, and Calaris Titans Mentac swap three way. Round 5. Strategy cards are taken from lowest to highest around the table, and Hakan steals Imperial with Quantum Data Hub node after taking the trade goods off of Warfare, setting up for the risky play to win with Found a Golden Age turn 1 using all but one of their planets. The table stresses on how to stop Acon, but calm themselves convinced that Titan's stellar converting Big Door will stop them. Unfortunately, they miscounted and Acon is left with exactly enough resources to score the stage 2 with Imperial on their turn even without Big Door and claims the win only to be stopped by coup d'etat, giving the table a second chance to stop their win, only having to take one of their plants. The round continues slowly as each faction stalls and finishes DET tokens for better secrets but always seemingly coming up short. Calaris performs their galactic peacekeeping duties and seizes Wellen to stop Hakon. With Hakon out of the running, each of the factions begin pointing fingers all over the place on who they should stop next. The game is close. Titans take Hakon's home system to utterly ensure they cannot win by being paid a support from the throne by extra, only to also score become a martyr when Hakon takes their home back, putting them back in the running, if still the last scorer in status. Hakon does indeed take it back, barely, after a full round of bad luck rolls during combat. Mentek and Calaris are set up to best win in the status phase, and if they don't, x is guaranteed to win, third in line. Hakon sneakily finagles a full set of relic fragments to give Asarl a relic in exchange for enough stalls to outlast the leadership stall and get one more token for just one more shot, a quintessential gambit if the Asarl draws shard, they win. Asarl moves ships over Mechatol to block Khan in exchange for the relic. Asarl sends five destroyers with fight with precision, getting them to nine points, and they have already secured the three relic fragments. So there's nothing the table can do to stop them now. Asarl draws the relic. And gets the codex, which just won't be enough. Hakon activates Mechatol, losing support, but gives But Asarl gives it back. It was a true gambit after all. Hakon brings an overwhelming force of every single one of their remaining units on the board, but their luck this round has been extremely poor. They barely skate by the space combat and land. No parley. Hakan has two mechs and four infantry versus x one mech and two infantry. Hakan just pulls through and uses their newly gained fleet logistics to immediately score Imperial and Engineer a Marvel and Ascending to the Throne. Congratulations to Frox as Hakan, who wins and becomes the new Galactic Emperor of Game 29. Thank you again to all the players and an extra special thank you to the streamers and especially the streamers who provided us with these reports. We will see you all
2: next week.